Welcome to First Time Through. New Eyes on Castle Rock. With Kim Payne. And Otto Mullins. Hey, we're going to start with chapter 50 today. Uh, Go through chapter 50 through chapter 60. There's a lot that happens in this section. You know, this is another almost 300 page section. And so. um, I think this one was. It's just shy, just shy it's like of 300. It's yeah. Another big chunk. So there's a lot that happens. Um, and then we'll just have that last, you know, 200 pages for the last two episodes. That's going to be really crazy. By the way, welcome to First Time Through New Eyes on Castle Rock. Yeah. I'm your host, Otto Mullins. And I'm Kim Payne. And this is my first time through chapters 50 through 60. We have to add a chapter in from last week of The Stand by Stephen King. Um, so, wild. Yeah, Let's just start off there. I'm really... naive. Everything I thought in the past, there's, nothing's coming to fruition. Yeah. I really thought Harold was going to end up being a good boy. I kind of... I really was, I... I was so hopeful for Harold. I really hope. Well, and he has so many opportunities in this section that he could make that choice, and he just doesn't. doesn't. Um, he keeps just... You know, it gets to be the point where, like, if you shut your heart out to love for that long, you're just never going to, like, reopen it back up. Yeah. yeah, and it's sad because he's still so young. I mean, he's only 16. But and the moment that, yeah, the, the moment Nadine comes into his life and it's just like, this is the thing he thinks he's always wanted. And he right. gets it. And it's just and like, like, why? And he's just, you can feel so his frustration at why he's not happy. Yep. And he's just like, why am I not the most happy boy in the world? <laughs> right. Uh, so let's do a quick summary. Yeah, let's go through the recap. So we start off... Uh, Chapter 50, uh, so we ended, no one was in the free zone yet. Yeah. Right? Okay, so chapter 50, they're all in the free zone already. Well, uh, almost everybody. Almost everyone, except for Larry's group. Larry's group's so not there yet. Stu and Stu Glenn have and just Glenn. got there, and it's them off talking on a hill, and it's pretty much, they're catching us up on how they, what has happened since they got there. Um, and they met Nick already, and they both already met, like, Nick already. And, yeah. Um, and there's about 400 people the in, in the free section, zone guys. at this point. Um, so, I mean... It doesn't sound like a whole lot, but we only, we've only met like 10 people by name, and now we've got 400 people in the free zone. Um, and it's just a giant time jump. It, it is. It's almost like, it feels like it's like a month later, and they're in the free zone. They've been there for a couple of days now, and Stu has taken Glenn up to the rock to ask him how to rebuild society. Right. And he starts to give him the ideas that this is what we need to be doing to rebuild society. Uh, and he pretty much tells him, like, it's not... You know, the more and more that, like, Glenn talks about it, the more he really seems like he's trying to put himself in power sometimes. And, like, he's got this, like... He's got really great ideas, and he he knows he's got... It seems like he's giving them ideas that he can take advantage of. Yes. Well, and and how to implement them. He's he's very... He's got the structure down in his... He's really... uh, He would have been a good politician. Yes. The way that, like, he manipulates crowds especially. Yes. I Um, agree. Then we meet Nick, and we find out he's living with... There's... It's hard to go through any of these recaps. Of these. Yeah, this is kind of a hard section to yep. recap. Um, you know, and they put Mother Abigail up in a nice house. Um, Nick and Ralph are living together because it would be hard for Nick to live by himself and be able to communicate because yep. he can't hear or talk. So, um, um, so we learn that they're going to set up a committee of seven people to represent everyone in the free zone. And uh, wow. Uh, they go forward doing that. We'll talk about the free zone and the committee a little bit more later on. I know we've just kind of like been like yeah. the free zone. Um, we haven't really explained what it is, but it's where they've all met in Boulder and like they've started to build their civilization, their new civilization. Right. And 
what's interesting, one of the things that you find out, uh, and it, it gets very casual through this sexual in, section, and you really start to forget about the supernatural elements almost. Um, and I think it's yeah, really because just it's to very day to day. You know, it's it's very how do we make how do we function and recreate and and have just our normal day to day things, right? And uh, so we meet Nick. He's been thinking about exactly what he should do for the society. And then we find out Stu and Franny's relationship has pretty much progressed to the point where they're living together now. Mm -hmm. And surprise, surprise, Harold's not super stoked about that. Right. Uh, He lives alone on the outskirts of town with all of his windows and uh, doors locked and no curtains drawn. So nothing suspicious there. And um, Larry... Larry and his group get there. Pulls into town and he's yeah. got Nadine and they have Joe. Uh, and, and Judge Ferris. Judge Ferris, which are the main, like, big important characters right. that we get from them. And Dick. Well, and, and Lucy. And Lucy, yeah. yeah. Uh, actually, quite a few important uh, people roll in. And we get a really fun moment between Mother Abigail and Nadine. Yeah. As soon as she yes, walks in. As soon in. as she gets um, there. And both of them have these moments where they're like, I could stop all of this if I just did this, or if I killed her, or if right. we did this. And. You know, by the end of this section, we realized that like if one of them would have done a murder there, like we would probably not have most of this section. Yep, it's really it interesting. Be, like, yeah, it would be very, very different. And we end up learning a little bit about Harold, and we find out that he's pretty much he has ostracized himself because he doesn't believe he'll be accepted in any part of society, and he pretty much says that I'm going to change the world. August twelfth, nineteen ninety, early morning. It is said that the two great human sins are pride and hate, are they? I like to think of them as two great virtues. To give away pride and hate is to say you will change for the good of the world. To embrace them, to vent them, is more noble. That is to say that the world must change for the good of you. I'm on a great adventure, Harold Emery Louder. And it's the first thing that we find in his journal and that they t- that mm-hmm. Steve gives us about him. And it really just sets the rest of the tone for the section right. about like, it's, what Harold's going like, to accomplish. It's like his... Um, Manifesto. It is. It is absolutely his mission statement. And mission it's statement. so good... crazy. Um, because if he would have just opened himself up to people being kind to him. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, Franny was horrible to him. But Franny's not the only person here. And I think that and we find out in is, this section is that there are people that try to include him, include him like genuinely. Mm-hmm. And in, they give him a nickname they, and they right. admire him and they appreciate the hard work that he's doing. And he's smart and clever and he does things that outwardly are nothing but positive for the community. But it's just to hide what he's actually trying to do. Right. And it's, I think the only reason that it gets to the point where he can't accept the love of someone else is because he sets himself up so indebtedly in the beginning to Franny as his love mm-hmm. because he thinks that they're the last ones. They have to repopulate the earth. Together. Right. They're the only ones that can do this. And I think he just gets too swept up in that fantasy and he gets too hurt by it. And I mean, what are you going to do when you're 16 and hurt, but lash out at everyone? Cause you don't know how to process these feelings. Right. Man. I just, I really feel for Harold. And I just, he got, I see why in the new episode of the mini, in the new miniseries, they're trying to really humanize him. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's too much of that effect already is getting into the book for me. But I also really feel like that's Stephen King humanizing his villains. Yeah. And making, he does. And he's he's always done that. Even and, Nadine mm-hmm. has those moments where you're like, man, I feel for her. 
but also like if you wanted there you should have came at him months ago right he's with Lucy now right um, another big thing though is Larry does come uh, to meet Franny because he thinks that Harold's going to be living with Franny and then he finds out oh Harold doesn't live with Franny and right. he but he kind of gives the story of the, like what happened story, right and and you know Franny realizes that Harold did a lot of incredible things. Harold did a things. lot of really incredible Pretty things, and she didn't give him a whole lot of credit. Mm. And oh, it just took somebody talk about else. The suicide attempt in the uh, episode. Oh yeah, well, we'll bring it up some other time. And uh, once uh, one of the fun things too that uh, we get into the next one, and uh, Nick starts to meet Larry and all of them. Mm -hmm. But then uh, there gets to be this part uh, where Mother Abigail asks Joe what his name is. And he says, my name's Leo. And then everybody's just kind of like, wait, what? Um, it might have been in the last page, actually, when they first came, or in the yeah, last chapter when they was. first came in. Yeah. But it was a really, like, big, momentous occasion because it's almost like the veil is lifted from Leo. Yeah. And, he, and, it's, and all of a sudden he knows who he is and where he he's from. Talk again and, he, and he's not the monster that he's been. And it's really well, interesting because then it, Steve makes it a point to point it out. It's when she takes his hand off of him. Mm -hmm. So I feel like we're getting too analysis in the recap, yes, we so are. we need to get more. Um, we got to focus. Yes. So Leo and Larry end up living together with Lucy. Larry and Lucy are in a very strong relationship. They're actually like really in love, and it's very cute. Um, well, and and Leo splits time between living with them and and Nadine, and Nadine, Nadine mom, Lucy mom, and Nadine mom. <laughs> so is, it's so cute uh, to listen to the audiobook readers just like Nadine mom. It's mm -hmm. really cute. It is cute. Um, Larry goes to meet uh, Harold. Harold is not prepared for it, almost kills him. Uh, then they get a little drunk. And, well, and and Larry gets a lot of bad vibes, and he sees the ledger and underneath Leo, the stone. And Leo won't even go into Harold's house. He won't step on the lawn. He won't even go to Harold's house. Leo knows something is really off. And so Larry's like, well, go on back home, and, and I'll Leo, see you Tom, there. Leo, Tom, Mother Abigail, like, mm -hmm. there's, like, these people that can, like, they have that sixth sense. They have that, you know, right. that profit sense. And, I mean, Franny develops in a little bit even, too. Mm -hmm. uh, they, uh, Larry ends up leaving, and Harold just keeps saying, every dog has his day. It's terrifying. Well, and uh, practicing smiling. Smiling in and... the mirror. Um, he goes, uh, Larry comes out to talk to Leo. Leo pretty much is like, yeah, that guy's scary. Don't trust him. Like, do not trust him ever. Uh, out of the mouths of babes. Leo's, I mean... Leo gets very uh, prophetic and terrifying in this part. Yeah, like, some of the most scary stuff that Leo does is just so side-mentioned. It's like, mm -hmm. Leo's the one that's out in the middle of the night in the dark and just finds Mother Abigail and brings her back. Yeah. And it's just like a, a half of a sentence, but it's like, whoa, like... Why is Leo out in the woods all alone, guys? Like, what are you, <laughs> right. like Larry, well, I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, you know, who's going to take him? Um, yeah, true. <laughs> I mean, this uh, is the good guys camp. They don't expect there to be bad guys here. True, true. So, they don't you expect know. it. But. And, and I mean, also written in a different age. True. Like kids are a lot more free I mean, to hang out around that. I guarantee you that my childhood going out and running around and doing things was a whole lot different than yours because like as long as i was home by the time the street lights came on i was good we had, I, I we had similar, similar childhoods i lived out in like the middle like for most of my like under 12 i was like in like a very like suburb or last suburban area very rural area oh so you, so got, I was able to, like, so you were able to do, do that too. into the nighttime yeah uh but enough about our how our childhoods uh a lot of this too then this we get a lot of that like probably what will casually blow over is there's just a lot of like 
casual romantic stuff now. Like right. you see a lot of like if Stu and like Franny just really relishing at the time that they have together and like enjoying just living together and having these cute little moments where they get to have dinner and go on picnics and all these mm-hmm. things and there's always the sense of it's going to end soon, but like right, yeah. and it, and I feel like that the, while those things are there and they are overall important, I don't think that they I are that the focus. I think that it's important to show that they're trying to have normal day to day life. They're actively trying for it, yeah. and through all of it, Harold is planning uh, to do some terrible things. Right. Um, throughout the novel, this part of the section, we get a lot of. Uh, the story through just minute meetings mm-hmm. so it's just like direct dialogue with nothing in between it which is interesting because it just gives us an insight of how they're going to like be running this society and essentially mm-hmm. it's not it's quite literally just them trying to recreate the american government they want to do stuff outwardly like a, to a make it look like they're government. doing things but on the inside they're going to be doing everything actually with the control and power and not telling the average person about it not telling them all the details, yeah. But that's, and, like, exactly what right. happened that caused this. Exactly. So, it, so. it's just, it's, mm-hmm. uh, yep. And they just, they go real hard down on it. And they originally had uh, elected seven members. It was going to be Stu, Larry, Sue, Glenn, Ralph, Franny, and Larry. Dick. Or Dick. And Dick, Dick doesn't want out. to because he's, he's a, the only currently the only doctor, the only medical professional, and he's overwhelmed. So they recommend Larry to take his place. So Larry takes his place, and it's the seven of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and originally it was going to be uh, Harold instead of Ralph, but Glenn and Stu put together the list, sent it to Nick, and Nick unilaterally crossed Harold's list name off the list and said, I don't trust him. I don't want him there. Yeah. And that, from that point on, it's pretty much the turning point for everyone not trusting Harold. Right. The moment Nick doesn't trust him, no one trusts him Right, anymore. because, you know, Nick's, Nick's the... Nick's un, the un, he's the leader. He's kind of the... the yeah. He's the, like, the... If, you know, uh, we have the queen is Mother Abigail, then, you know, he's the prime minister. Yes. Um, yes. Because she's a figurehead. And they and they make that clear. Very clear. that, And that's all that she's that, ever going to be to them as a figurehead. And they talk about, too, like, they're not going to talk about the religious, theocratic, or superstition in the meeting, which is, like, stupid. Because well, you're least, all there because of magic. You're all in Boulder because you were having magical dreams. Right. But they're trying to get things... They're, they're, trying they're, trying to, to, they're trying to be naive. Like that's all really the only way to look at it is they're being naive and thinking that nothing's changed when literally everything around them has changed. Yeah, and they want. I mean, they do try to keep that first meeting just just business, and mm-hmm. I feel like that they miss the mark on that. And I think that that's the point though too is you know they're struggling and grasping at like what's old and like what, mm-hmm. what it was instead of adapting to the change and becoming new. Right. Uh, then Mother Abigail decides. Uh, so we, then we get into chapter. Oh, we got really sidetracked. This is going to be hard. We get into chapter fifty-two. Mother Abigail realizes that she was in fact uh, sinning the whole time because she was really proud to be the figurehead of this society, mm-hmm. and she decides that she needs to go and, uh, uh, you know, walk into the woods and uh, leave. So she leaves to uh, atone for her sins, and everybody's just kind of like, "Well, she's gone now." And so if she comes back, she comes back. And they end up right. putting all of their resources from here on out into getting the generators turned back on. Right. Yeah. They they got to get the power on. They've got to get 
there's three big committees I mean, that they do. They do the power committee. They do a uh, burial committee, mm-hmm. which is in charge of finding all the dead bodies in Boulder mm-hmm. and burying them. And then they do a search committee for Mother Abigail. And at that same meeting, uh, they end up all being elected to the permanent positions in their ad hoc committees. And Harold st- uh, is the one who cleverly is the manipulates all of it. And he really makes himself does. Look like a like look like the hero. He, he looks, looks like, like ends up being Harold stands up and he's like, I think all of you seven should just continue your positions since you're doing such a great job. And mm-hmm. he really just sets it up in a way where everyone starts applauding for Harold instead of for the seven of them right. being elected. And there's these moments where every single one of them on the board is a little angry and frustrated, and it's just well, and and they have that. What's his motive? Mm-hmm. You know, because now that Nick has pointed out the distrust, they uh, they're all questioning everything he yes. does now. And he's yes. always so happy and positive around everyone. Um, and during all of this, too, Franny actually breaks into his house. Um, and while she's there, she's looking around for things. And, and she Nadine finds... comes and oh, knocks yeah. on the door and she ends up getting scared and runs away. So she doesn't find anything. Mm-hmm. She finds the loose stone. But she, she finds the find loose anything. stone. There's nothing underneath it because uh, right. Larry had just found the ledger the last day. And then uh, she also happens to find a box for walkie talkies and some loose wires hanging out around the basement as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm going to copy in this. Chintaqua. Uh, so they go out looking for uh, Mother Abigail, and they're all looking for her, and this is some more like deeper stuff that we'll get into in the right. actual talk. And I think that's pretty much all this chapter is, is them talking and looking. <gasps> and then Kojak came back. Yes! Ah, I was not... That was the shocking issue. I gasped, because I, I was not expecting it. Right. And Kojak's just laying on the couch, and he's like... That's the novel I want. Mm-hmm. I want Kojak's story. I want story. Kojak's story. I want to, like, yeah. you take out all 60 pages of the trash can, man, and you explain to me exactly what happened every step of the way for Kojak. I think, is You'll that a thing? You'll get some of it. Yay. Yeah, you will get the some of it. The part where, like, it's just him having a little dream and, like, I know. I mean, just twitching his paws I know. and he's I just so sad. I was so, so happy because oh. it was, so, it was mm. so sad when they left Kojak behind. I understood the logic of it. Um. Okay. <clears throat> So then uh, what I had just said was uh, then Harold did the thing. Okay. And then um, that night Nadine comes to Larry, falls down on her knees and tries to hook up with Larry. And he's like, no way, no, sister. I'm you had your chance. Yeah. yeah. You had your chance. And she ends up uh, going off into the night, just disappearing. And Larry finds out a couple of days, days later that she's moved in with Harold Louder. Right. And it's because she had a Ouija board. She went up to the top of a mountain and the dark man talked to her through the Ouija board on the top of a mountain. Mm -hmm. And through that, we find a flashback where it's not the first time that the dark man has talked to her through a Ouija board. Right. Because Um, it happened to her when she was in college. In college. Exactly. And we end up jumping in from that point into 54, where it is after uh, they've all been elected permanently to their positions. It's the first meeting after, and they're talking about sending spies east, mm-hmm. or east-west. Scouts. Scouts. Sorry. They're spies. They're spies. But, um, but yeah, you know, to make, their, make them feel better. It's a real interesting point through the whole thing, and they end up electing uh, Judge, the 70-year-old man yeah. that came with uh, Larry. Larry. They end up electing Dana, the woman who came with Sue and... Uh, 
and Stu and, Stu and Franny. And, right. She and was one of them that was, was with the zoo. Yep. That got and the, uh, the shootout. The harem, essentially. Mm -hmm. And she has, uh, I thought this was really cool. She has um, like a, a wrist activated knife. And so when yes. she pops her wrist, the knife pops out. Yeah. And it's really cool because there's an entire video game series called Assassin's Creed. Mm -hmm. And that is the concept of the entire video game series is that there's a group of people that have these hidden knives to go up and like assassinate people. Yep. And I just thought it was fun that like it was in the Stephen King book and written in, in the, the 70s. 70s yeah. Yep. And uh, they and, that and then is the there. last one they send yeah. is Tom Cullen. Yeah, which you know, it's I see why, and it makes sense. But and I think, but we'll get into the details. Now that, of that I've also realized that Tom Cullen is supposed to be like twenties, thirties, and mm -hmm. not like a thirteen, fourteen year old. Right. Um, I think it makes a little bit more sense. Right. And uh, Mother Abigail's gone. She's not there. That just says Mother Abigail. And, you know, and they keep get, hunting for. I mean, like, but I think it's. Just but I think that that's now. perfunctory mm -hmm. at this point. They don't really think they're going to find her because there's so much wild area around Boulder, Colorado. I mean, you were just there. Oh yeah. A couple weeks last week. And, and still wild. Like and it's it. still there's just not a whole lot of population centers. There's mm. you know Boulder, but then it's very disconnected from anything around it. So there's a lot of wilderness and mountains and ravines and craziness so yeah. there's a lot of places that she can get lost so i think that the search for her at this point is more of um just for show yeah i mean that's what all of it is it's like the the amount of times where they individually all think too like we could set ourselves up like kings here like we mm -hmm. could be in total power like all of those things it's like it just shows that like maybe this isn't the right way to be running the society then right but they all also check themselves you know we could do these things but that wouldn't be the right way right. to do it. Also, I just love Larry. He's great. Yeah. Um, at the end of 54, we see uh, Nadine moving in with Harold. And essentially, Nadine says, well, I can't have traditional sex with you. We can do literally everything else. Mm -hmm. And not only can we do everything else, the dark man has told me we have to do everything else. Right. So essentially, Harold ends up having Nadine as a sex slave for the rest of his time here. Yeah, which in, is really crazy. Uh, the free zone. And Nadine's weirdly super excited about it and disappointed like nadine's going through a lot during these yes sessions. she is yes she um is. chapter 55 is uh each of the people from leaving. the committee well it's the the committee going and asking the person that they nominated mm -hmm. to go west so larry has to go talk to the judge and um um and I, Sue and like, goes and talks that, to Dana, and they yeah they too. leave in this section. So it's a nice too. straightforward chapter, but it's uh, very meaningful, and it's really it is. There's, there's some a good character yeah, moments, there and I know are. that now oh that we're going gosh. to section three, and like those are three characters we're probably going to see again or see dead on the road again. So yeah, we'll there's see, a lot. Mm. I really feel like Dana's going to end up on the uh, on a on a cross on their mm. way there. So um, they end up having another meeting and at this meeting uh they it's just the construction and yeah, a lot it, of basic meetings and this is right. the first I meeting where they're starting to get just, pushed back too from the crowd right right um, you know but they but they're really just trying to get things on an even keel i mean we're in fall now and fall in the mountains you know it's going to start to get cold they need to get the power on they need to get the bodies that are there buried, you know, they had, and and all of those things, so that things can they can start having a normal functioning community. Right. Um, chapter fifty six. 
They get the power on for a minute. And then it pop blows. And then it blows, which they anticipated, you know, um, Brad, who is in charge of that, anticipated that. And he's like, no, no, that's exactly what I expected to happen. But now, in addition to this burial committee, we need to have somebody to go turn off the power at these Mm -hmm. houses so that we don't overload the circuits and we're only powering the houses that we're actually using. Right. And then um, a group shows up and they get their first doctor doctor. Doctor doctor. George Richardson shows Mm -hmm. up. And uh, while he was on the road, we discovered that he had given uh, birth to two twins and they died in a field. Right. But there's, it's not confirmed that's the super flu. So he... Because there were complications and mm -hmm. prematurity and they were twins. And so there's a lot of factors that it could have been. And the mother in her distress, instead of letting him perform an autopsy and find out what it was, she hides their bodies. and, And so that's... So we don't know what killed the twins. So Franny's baby isn't first it's up in the air so and it's still up in the is air very positive though he thinks that if he can start now monitoring it he can it's he says that the most important product of the free zone is babies mm-hmm. and that makes sense yeah um and then at the end of this chapter we get a section of nadine and harold building a bomb in his basement mm-hmm. and we oh. get to we get another dog in this section too oh yeah kojak gets a kojak uh, gets a girlfriend yeah it's cute um Anyway, I know that's it's probably small, not the most it important probably thing. Probably means nothing, but, but it was nice to it see. It was nice I agree. to see. And uh, uh, we get these little moments too of Harold disassociating so hard now that mm-hmm. he's just like he's not there. He's having out of body experiences, and it's someone else doing these things, and Harold almost. Right. Yeah. It's it's really Harold is really unhinged. We start chapter fifty seven with the spookiest part of the entire thing. And Larry's just sitting there on the porch, and then all of a sudden, Leo, uh, or he's walking down the street, and Leo's sitting there with a ping pong ball, and Leo's like, Harold's a bad person. He's going to kill everyone. You need to talk to Franny about it. Talk Mm -hmm. to Franny. Talk to Franny. And then he's like, okay, I'll go talk to Franny. And he runs over to talk to Franny, and she's like, I don't know. I'm just scared of Harold. And he's like, me too. We should go and spy and, like, break into his house. So they go, and they break into his house. Well, because they put their information together. Right, because she found the loose stone. He found the ledger. They they compare notes and figure out that that there's a lot of suspicious things. And the big thing that Franny just has a hunch about is you know this all started with her diary mm-hmm. and, and so, the chocolate fingerprint, the chocolate fingerprint for real so, this time. Yeah, <laughs> actually this time. And so she uh, they decide to break. Now, in. in my defense, that was like ten pages after we stopped reading. No, it was literally. It like, was like you probably listened to it in the same like moment when you were right. listening into it. And if I yeah. were read one more chapter, I would have had it exactly. Um, so. In my defense, it really was in the assigned section. <laughs> right. Uh, so they break in, and they find uh, the journal this time, which right. is interesting because the first time Franny had broke in, Harold had moved it because Larry had found it. Right. But he took it out and let Nadine, Nadine read it, it, and then Nadine and hit it, it in the same place. Mm-hmm. So the only reason he gets found is because of Nadine, uh, just being Nadine. Uh, yeah, Nadine, honestly, though, like nothing but a handicap at this point she has yeah, nothing on, on either side like she's a handicap for harold trying to accomplish his jobs mm-hmm. nothing but a distraction she's bringing down larry on this side like yeah get out of here nadine um so nadine is the one that actually goes and hides the bomb yep so then nadine and they finish so, the bomb and they're breaking in and it's funny because the same time as they're breaking into the house harold's off working and nadine is hiding the bomb mm-hmm. in ralph's house and nick's house um and they end up she leaves and then at the same time, she gets a premonition from the Dark Man telling her that they've found the diary, that they've found Harold's ledger, and that they've been discovered and they need to leave. She rushes to Harold, and 
he says, do we have like time to like for tonight? And he's like, no, we need to not leave now. So right. they leave now and they end and up they, staying they the night. And they hide close enough. Within range of the bomb. Right. That he can still set off the bomb yep. remotely. And now, and, and with that, her hair has turned completely white. Yep. Snow as white now. As soon as she has that premonition. Yep. Now she's completely white. And uh, this next chapter is wild. It's just cut, 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 cut. Well, because there's so much happening in so many places. And well, it's really only one thing happening in one place. And it's just from two different points of view. In my, like, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, there's but, a lot of, like, action around it. But yes. really, it's all, every single moment of every single cut is just focused on this bomb exploding. Right. And that's what happens in this chapter. The bomb explodes and Nick dies. Uh, which, but but everybody <gasps> else gets out. Not everyone. Sue dies. And Dick. Almost everybody. Almost everybody gets out. Gets but out. But because. Last, Nick tries to go and, like. Uh, disable the disable bomb. Disable the bomb. And he ends oh. up, like. Oh. But. It's, oh. In the last moments, the moment before the bomb goes off, Franny gets a voice in her head that says, Ever get everyone out now. And mm-hmm. at the same time, a large group of motorcycles come driving down the road because From Mother town, Abigail because has Mother came Abigail back. came back. So everyone starts rushing out to see the uh, it's a combination of uh you know, her standing up and saying, Get out and all those motorcycles coming out and mm-hmm. then the first thing that they hear outside is Mother Abigail's back and everybody starts rushing outside and then the explosion Which is happens. what which is what makes it so that there's a whole lot less Death. Death. There's only seven people killed instead of all of them, right. pretty much. And uh, then Harold, uh, and in that moment, it's interesting because as soon as it's over, Nadine goes to kiss Harold and he like pushes her away and he's like, that's done now. You're the dark man's. I'm mm-hmm. going to get another woman that's going to make you look terrible. Right. Like, I don't want to touch you. I don't want to look at you. We're done with this now. We're going west. Right. And Harold's just... He, he he had to make that choice. He you know, did. He made and, that choice. And, and he knew. Mm-hmm. Um, we get to chapter 59, which is pretty much just us finding out what happened after the explosion. Uh, Franny has whiplash and a sprained back. Nick is dead. Um, <sighs> and Mother Abigail is dying. They right. go to see her. And she's dying, dying. Well, and, and she performs a... Uh, Healing on Franny. Yeah, a miracle. She, he, you know, her touch heals Franny, and um, and then she tasks the the guys with their journey, remaining journey, with their remaining journey. She sends Glenn and Larry Ralph and Larry and, and Stu, Stu west. west to. With nothing, and she says she with says nothing. She says you can't leave with anything. Can't. You can't go on rides. You have to walk with the clothes that you were wearing now. Right. And their goal, their mission is to go kill the dark man. And chapter sixty, the last chapter of this section, and the last chapter of the book two, mm-hmm. is them just leaving. Yep. And Kojak comes with them, which is Kojak. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, I think like what's interesting too is it's just going to show those little moments where like you're you are in control of your own destiny mm-hmm. a little bit. You know, even. Tom Cullen refusing that one order just subconsciously yes. shows that, you know, like even if you think that you have a full thumb on someone, like you can't control them completely. And I think we're going to see it on both sides too. I think like a Lloyd or a trash can flip is like very possible or, you know, I think like, I think a Nadine flip is very possible. Like just the, she's about to start feeling too much guilt. Right. Well, um, these are things. And that was what we read this week. So we're going to uh, get our stuff together. We're going to let you listen to our new Patreon commercial and, we're going to get ready for some analysis on this. I feel like there's really going to be some good parts to talk about. I think about. so. 
So we came to the decision that when we initially set up our Patreon that we really didn't give you guys enough. Or options, and one of the options was to give us $500, <laughs> which in hindsight is ridiculous. Uh, so uh, we revamped the levels this week, and if you are currently a Patreon, be watching because we will be getting you some new things mm -hmm. to go with your levels based on those of you who have been with us since the beginning. Um, if you are looking to support us going forward, um, take a look at the levels because there are some pretty cool things that will happen and that you will get. There's four levels right now, and for $2, you will get access to our Patreon, which has early access to our episodes, usually a day or two early. Also, we're going to be starting to put exclusive mini episodes up on our Patreon. The first episode coming out probably next, or Friday, or no. We will decide the soon. schedule for that soon, but the first episode of it will be covering the Stand miniseries TV show episode one, and our thoughts and how it responded to the book. Um, you also get a digital phone background of our first time through logo, which we will send directly to your email. The next level up for five dollars, um, you for the next level up for five dollars will also get you exclusive access into our Patreon, where you will get those exclusive episodes. But you will also receive a super cool sticker in the mail. So we'll email you, ask you for your address, and send that out to you. And at this tier, you start to garner rewards after consecutive months. So after three consecutive months at the five dollar tier, we're going to send you a handcrafted first time through pint glass. At six months, we're going to send you a handcrafted first time through exclusive Patreon t-shirt. Now, this is just going to be a t-shirt design that we make exclusive for all of our patrons that get to that level. The next level up is going to be $10. This is going to give you everything that we just talked about, the exclusive access. You're going to get the phone background. You're going to get the super cool sticker. But you're also going to get all those rewards a little bit earlier. So instead of it taking three months to get your pint glass, it's only going to take you two months, bringing it down from $30 to $20, essentially. Mm -hmm. And we're going to send you that handcrafted first time through pint glass. And then at four ex consecutive months, bringing that t-shirt price down from 60 to 40 essentially, while also getting all of those other benefits, we will send you that exclusive first time through uh, t-shirt as well. Now, our biggest and final tier coming in at $20 comes with everything we've just talked about, but with even more fast-tracked exclusives. So you're going to immediately get your super cool sticker, and we're going to even immediately send you the pint glass just for signing up at that tier. Now, after three months at this tier, we're going to send you that exclusive Patreon t-shirt. And at six months, Kim and I are going to design a first time through New Eyes on Castle Rock t-shirt exclusively for you based on your favorite Steve novel. It can be whatever you want. We'll talk to you, figure out what you like, and we're going to go pick out your size, your favorite shirt, and we're going to figure out exactly what we'd want to send to you. Because we really want anything that we send to you to be handcrafted and special from us. Because anything that you give us means the world to us. So we want our stuff to mean that to you. Thanks for supporting us. And if you are already there, be watching for your goodies. Thank you so much. So back at the beginning of this section. Thank you. Um, so just first thing to talk about is I really like how they just jump. Like we just have this like time skip right into the free zone. Right. Um, and so the free zone is Boulder where they've all decided to meet up essentially. Right. And, and they've built their society here. And one of the really cool things, and you told me to make a note of it earlier, mm -hmm. is very early on there's this section where they talk about how there's this conspiracy theory that there is a 
weather bureau in Boulder that is making that is pretty much distributing the virus and it caused people to leave Boulder quickly and like almost evacuate the town right so, so now, now that they get there, here there's, there's not a lot of dead bodies mm-hmm. and it's just conveniently like there's a lot of empty houses and like things that were left behind that people just panicked and left right and you know it's now August so you know, this has been through High Plains summer, and while High Plains summer is a whole lot different than Midwest summer or New York City summer, it's still summer. Right. And but because there's not a whole lot of people, there weren't a whole lot of people left there. It's not a toxic environment, so right. it gives them time to kind of get settled so that they can start making preparations to deal with the bodies because that will become a problem and all of all of the things so Mm -hmm. but yes that was why i made sure that you made note of the thing at the beginning i mean 40 chapters ago right about boulder clearing out um and so now it we see Stu, glenn and his group get to boulder and they're in this free zone which has already been pretty established by nick's group right mother abigail right nick and mother abigail got there first they put mother abigail and ralph absolutely because ralph is become a very important character he is and i like the fact that ralph is um a simple person not simple in that he's dumb but he's not complicated right um, you know, he's a very simple, like, needs and wants kind of man. Yeah, and, and very practical. Um, yeah. You know, they talk about in this section that Ralph was one of those guys that, you know, probably had a hard time holding down a job, but was real good at a lot of things. And so... Um, I want to just do this real quick and just talk about the entirety of them making the government so we never have to talk about it throughout the rest of it. I'm totally great with that. Let's okay, do that. So essentially, Stu goes up to Glenn on a rock and he says, what's the best way for us to restart the American government? And Glenn says, we need to ratify the Constitution again. We need to ratify the Bill of Rights. And then we need to let we need to convince everyone to agree to seven people running the whole town. Right. A representative group. A representative um, like board. a like a um, House of Representatives. A town hall. Yeah, a town because hall, it's that's what it's it is. small enough still that they feel like a town hall style government is is going to be functional so for at least a little while. Um, so they go through and they make a bunch of flyers and they distribute them and they end up having a meeting where they propose all of these things and the town is just so happy to be voting and being in a group and like it's it, they and getting this, organized. Yeah, and you can feel that there's just like a sense of relief and accomplishment and they do a really good job of like conveying that in the novel. Yeah, and that's where they you know. They they go in with a plan for setting up. Okay, these are the these are the government agencies that we need right away. We right. need we need a cleanup committee. We need these um, things power committee. power committee. We need these things right away so that we can get things going in the right direction. Right, and so slowly through this, um, like we had said earlier, Harold uh, intervenes and he gets the seven people that were only temporarily on the board permanently elected. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, we end up getting a law and order committee that Stu is in charge of. Uh, we end up getting a search committee for Mother Abigail, which mm-hmm. Harold's in charge Harold's of. We get the burial committee. We get the power committee. Um, we get a consensus committee. Uh, uh, census. census committee, not a consensus. And right. Well, because you know, it, an important part of society is, is knowing who's there, knowing who's there, and knowing um, like your specialist. Mm-hmm. You well, know. I think that they have a very practical um, reason for also knowing who's leaving because they want to know who's defecting if yes. anyone is defecting. Um, they set up all of this, and their big idea with Mother Abigail is they want to make her 
pretty much the president in their eyes. They want to give mm-hmm. her the veto powers and they want to give her the ability to propose ideas. But they have a system of checks and balances where the board can deny her ideas and she can deny their ideas. Right. So it's it's a real good facsimile of Congress and the president. Mm-hmm. And from that point on, uh, once Mother Abigail leaves, it pretty much becomes completely ran by that board. Right. Um, and through all of this, the board has been doing secret meetings to talk about the dark man and do all of these things because there's a sense in the town that the town just doesn't want to talk about it yet. They're not ready. They're not for ready it. to deal with the things that are coming. They know the the committee knows that they're going to have to deal with this at some point. But let's deal with the practical stuff first, and, and doing, then we'll get to the. And the committee's doing a really great job. The government's really going strong. Mother Abigail isn't there, and then the explosion happens. Right. Mother oh Abigail comes back at the same time. And it all just kind of crumbles in that moment. And they have another town hall meeting, but they're missing Nick and Sue, who have both died. Right. And uh, Franny is now in the hospital because she has the uh, sprained back and injured uh, whiplash. whiplash. And the meeting gets out of hand. And they essentially are like, we need to talk about the crowd whips up into a frenzy and starts talking about how they need to talk about the dark man. They need to take care of it. And... You just really get the feeling that, like, it's not going to be a secret thing anymore. Like, you right. Can't, like, they, right. Now we, okay, now we have to deal with this. We've, we've got all this practical stuff out of the way. Now we're going to have to deal with what brought us all here. Oh, and to mention, too, the spies that they sent, Dana, Judge Ferris, and Tom Cullen, were completely mm-hmm. secret. No one knows No one why. knows that. And all that the town thinks is that they just left. Right. So, right. Um, you know, and somebody saw Dana leave. Somebody saw Judge, Judge Ferris, Ferris leave, leave and nobody nobody saw Tom, nobody saw Tom leave. They were, they were the ones that drove Tom away and dropped him off. Right. Um, and and it all comes to a head in that moment after the explosion. And essentially it breaks down into the, there's not much of a government style anymore with the dark man there. They need to take care of the dark man before they can right. rebuild society is what they pretty much, that's right. what it tells us. Right. You know, they, they've, they've got the power committee and the power committee has got power. Right back on or, or right everybody's exactly doing exactly doing. and it's, things are moving in the right direction and that's why harold's blowing everything up is so important he blows it up at one of the most pivotal moments when all of those committees are coming to tell mm-hmm. nick and the rest of them that they've accomplished their jobs that they're one step closer to society and harold's bomb sets them all of those steps back in that one moment yes so they make it very it's fun because it it's makes like, sense to me because the dark man if the dark man is like you know really focused on that torture and making elongating things and making things worse for them of course he's going to give them you know the two months of like bliss and happiness and i think though on the same side of that coin though god is about to ask a lot of these characters yes so maybe he wants to give them a bright brief respite you know Stu, you get a you get a chance to love this woman that you never you never would have found if it wasn't for this and exactly here's two months of that you're welcome now you have to do this big thing for me yeah larry i've made you a better man like you're yes. welcome like Ralph, I've now, given you like a big group, a family, and a family. yeah, and you know, Glenn, you know, and you're Nick. on that adventure you always wanted. Now, yeah, you're Nick had a family, a, and then oh, that was just devastating. So but yeah, the characters that we're seeing like leave now, they've all been giving like the thing that they wanted most from God, and mm-hmm. so now that God's like, all right, now go kill the devil, <laughs> right? So it's like you know, it's a lot harder for them to say no, um, and so essentially that's the government. So I feel like, well, we'll probably mention it a little bit more in there. But right, the, but that's kind of the, the it in a nutshell. the fall of the government throughout this section. And it's really well done. It's really interesting. And the way that they build it all up together while also combating the forces of evil at the same time is mm-hmm. really good. Um, so once we get back into Chapter 50, uh, okay, 
So let's see. Well, it, that. I think They're that they're starting to discover the government is trying well, to Well, and set it up. Glenn projects. Glenn's projection is is interesting. Um, let's see. Da, 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 where is it? Where he talks about, you know, we've got 400 people now. Oh, here it is. Um, we came all the way across the country and didn't see 100 people all told. But they're coming in, aren't they? Um, Eight thousand by winter is what he's projecting. Um, I think too that those are good projections. He just wasn't accounting for Mother Abigail dying. He wasn't accounting for explosions. He wasn't accounting for. Oh, here it is. Yeah, there are four hundred people here now, and this is in August, early August. Um, and by the 1st of September, there'll be 1,500, 4,500 by the 1st of October, and as many as 8,000 by the time the snow flies in November. You know, so he's he's confident that Boulder is going to get a lot more people. So they've really yeah. got to get it together. Um, and Stu takes a bunch of notes, and he essentially is, decides that this is how Stu really... Stu really came into himself. leadership here. Uh, but so not like a battle. It is like a power vacuum, and neither of them are like forcefully trying to like take power. Neither Nick or Stu. I just think that they're both such natural leaders. Yes. That there's an instinct and the proclivity to just follow them. Yeah. And so and, and I agree. Those... And neither one of them set out to be in power. And uh, I think and we talked about this last time. And I think it's important to mention again. You know, none of these people necessarily set out to be in power. Glenn's 50-50 But, me. well, yeah, except for maybe Glenn. But, but I don't Larry, think Ralph, that... Larry, Ralph, Stu, like, the, of those four that are leaving, like, those three had nothing but pure, like, guardian potential at, yes. the, be at the beginning. Like, that's all they wanted to do was protect the people around them. Ralph, right. I mean, it takes a lot of courage to stop in the apocalypse and pick up hitchhikers. Yes. <laughs> that's, like, that's, like, the first thing that we see Ralph do. Yeah. And, I mean, Larry, we've watched his journey the whole time now. He's mm -hmm. just, it's really, like, the four people that they send out, like, you're, like, are not there. They're there to protect everyone. Yes. And they've established that. Yes. Um, and Glenn's a scholar. I don't know that Glenn is necessarily searching for power, but he's a scholar and he's a sociologist. So it, it kind of just lends itself to right. him acquiring that power. I think what's really fun about this chapter is it's kind of the turning point for which way Harold's going to go. Mm -hmm. And it's it's not decided in this chapter yet. No. Because but, this is the first chapter he writes that first entry in his novel about the pride. Mm -hmm. But it's also the first time that Larry is finally there. And Larry is talking about how great Harold is to Franny. And Franny's having these slight realizations that, like, man, Harold is better than I realize. And so you get this feeling that, like, they're going to go and, like, make Harold feel included. They're going to yes. make him feel that and they're going to slowly, like, and I, and in that moment, I thought, like, that was the point of those characters, you know, was to, right. like, well, bring and, Harold back from the dark side right, and show to that give no one's truly that evil. But, mm -hmm. uh, Harold then also, you know, then he well, has sex and he well, doesn't want and, that anymore. Well, and they give him that opportunity. Many times. Yes, he is given the opportunity many times. I mean, he's given that with, with Larry when Larry goes out to you know, thank him basically for leading him across the country. And he gets that with um, uh, the burial crew. You know, they really accept him and they, they want to include him and they want him. But he, he turns his back on all of that. And that's pretty much 
Harold ends this chapter writing in his book and practicing smiling in the mirror, and it just sets the that one chapter sets the tone for the entire section. Mm-hmm. We're gonna build the government. Harold's gonna secretly be trying to sabotage it the whole time, right? And like that's what we read for ten chapters now. Yes, um, and there's a lot more stuff that happens, obviously, but that is the basis for the rest of this section of the novel, and. Yeah, it's figuring out the day-to-day in the free zone and figuring out how to manage what they're going to have to deal with, with the dark men, because they know they're going to have to deal with that. And that's the nice thing is the committee never doesn't think about it, at least. It's something Mm -hmm. that they're immediately like, how are we going to deal with this? It's something that they start to try to... uh, Come up with a plan with immediately. Right. Well, and I understand why they try to keep it out of the town hall meetings at the beginning, because they really just need to deal with the practical stuff. Right. And so we start in chapter 51, and uh, we check in with a couple of characters, but then we get into this section with Larry, where Larry goes to meet Harold for the first time with Mm -hmm. Leo. And he and Leo are walking down the street. They get to Harold's house. They come up behind Harold, who's on the ground. He taps him on the shoulder, and Harold jumps up and is about to brain Larry with this brick. And when Larry finally gets a hold of himself, he looks back. Leo hasn't come onto the lawn yet because Leo can see people. Like, he can see their intentions, I figured. Yes. And I think that when he was Joe, when Nadine was touching him, that was clouded on purpose mm-hmm. because if that vision was there, he would have never went with Nadine. Right. Also, it makes I agree that vision being clouded would make sense that when he saw Larry, a person of light, mm-hmm. he would have mistook it for a person of darkness, and he would have tried to have killed Larry like that when he's been thinking that this person of darkness with him is what light is. So he had to, you know, that interesting that journey for Leo is interesting, learning like what good and bad is based on like, you know, where that love is coming from. Mm-hmm. And Larry comes in, and they end up drinking the wine and having the little paydays. And the entire time, Larry has just the creepiest feeling off of Harold. He just doesn't feel right. He feels uncomfortable. And then he goes downstairs to grab a corkscrew to open this bottle of wine, and he sees a little rock that's uneven. Right. He goes to pick it up. On On the fireplace. And there's a book underneath it, and it says Ledger. And he doesn't get a chance to open it or read it because Harold's on his way back. So he puts the rock down, and he comes back. But... It's but it sticks in his mind, forever. you know. It, I mean, why why would you hide something like that? And, I, you know, that that's the way his mind process has to be, is why is this hidden? Um, and as Larry's leaving, he has these uh, moments where he realizes, he just, it's almost like his neurons just connect in that moment as he's leaving. And he's like, why was Leo scared of him? Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, Leo can see things. And this is not the first time we have this either throughout this section, but a character has the thought, you know, if Tom's trances are telling us these things, if I believe in uh, Mother Abigail's dreams, like these sixth sense and these feelings probably shouldn't be ignored anymore. In the old world, yeah, ignore them. But in this new world... Well, and in, in the old world, would they have been as heightened? Would they have been as recognized? So, you know, I don't know that they were necessarily ignored, but I don't know that they would have been be as recognized. Mm-hmm. Evolving to be able to sense more danger when you're in a more dangerous situation. Yes. And... Uh, Stu and Franny hook up again, of course, of course. Right. Well, Stu and Franny really embrace the ability to have a somewhat normal existence, you know? And and I can't blame them. I mean, they've been through hell and back. Right. And they're still kind of in the midst of it. And, and having just that little bit of normal. It's nice. It's I just nice. Sure. Yeah. I mean, 
they, Stu's earned it. Stu's earned it, mm-hmm. I think. Franny's just happy, lucky enough to be the person that <laughs> he earned it with. Um, yeah, Franny, I do not enjoy her in this section, to say the least. But I do understand her point of being the moral conscience. The, of the, the committee. Check almost. Yeah. The, like, are you sure that's a safe, like, good idea for everyone person? Yes. And I, like, I see her value in that, for mm-hmm. sure. And Larry... You know, seven. Oh, yeah. And then they go and ask Larry to be a part of the committee. He mm-hmm. joins. Um, and then we start. Um, we get these small, this one little foreshadowing moment where Franny says to Stu about, uh, it seems like he's read something, the kind of thing that when you read it, it changes your lives, like intercepted yeah. love letters. And she has this little, like. Light bulb moment. Yep. Yeah, she's like, he's changed. She read my diary, the chocolate foot fingerprint, and it all comes together. And then we get forced into the meeting and this is the first time we get it as like minutes mm-hmm. um and they essentially it's just you know like do we all agree to this do we agree to this is everything okay with this and they talk about this is where they talk about sending out the spies mm-hmm. so they decide to send out uh like we said judge ferris tom and dana and nick is the one that suggests tom and it's because he just believes so much in tom um, yes and well, and and they have um, hypnotized. They've him. hypnotized him. So they and Nick knows that Tom is brighter than he is perceived right. because he's been with him for a while now, um, and so he knows that when Tom kind of does that shutdown thing, that there are connections being made, and he knows that. You know, if, if he tells Tom this is your story, that Tom will stick to it because he's not necessarily creative enough to come up with another story. Right. Um, and they pretty much all agree. Well, well they, they, they don't. Almost all agree. It's five to two, but then Fran and Sue both change their minds. Right. The way it's Ultimately, consensus. yeah, they, they decide that they don't like it, but if they're going to do it, they need to do it Together. as a, a okay. combined front. Yeah. Um, and... Well, that's pretty much where we end the day is just uh, we also get this foreshadowing moment where Fran realizes like I could tell Stu about Harold but I'm not right, going to but I'm not I think going to she just has so much shame in it because because she knows that she was fault. well she knows that she contributed to it I don't think that it's, it's hard her to put it all in her yeah you're right, right. That's not fair. I mean that that she is really not fair because worse. he he was not you know. He was going to be the school shooter. <laughs> he was going to be the school shooter if things had ch- hadn't changed anyway. But you know, she definitely didn't make it any better. Yeah. Um, then uh, this first bit of this section, uh, this Mother Abigail has this vision that she's uh, committing the sin of pride. Yeah. That she has put herself in a role that she should not have done, and that she, she is. is mm-hmm feels convicted that she's got to take herself out of the situation. And it's in these moments where people come to, to the town for the first time and she thinks, and it's the only one she just thinks, they're here to see me, and she's just like, oh no, I've sinned. Mm-hmm. And uh, she just takes off all her clothes and walks off into the wilderness and leaves, and no one ever, they don't see her again until she comes back and dies. Right, well, and, you know, I mean, she's 108 years old, but she got an awfully long, I mean, she hid herself well, because they looked for her. Mm-hmm. Um, but Never know. She Never probably know. just went straight up the mountain. Like yeah. that's what it makes me think, Old Testament style. Um, and they decide that they're going to make their little uh, 
Harold says that uh, comes to the committee and he says that they should make a searching committee to mm-hmm. look for it. And we find out that Harold's only reason for that is because he wants to get Stu alone to kill him. Right. Because at this point, he doesn't have any sophisticated means of anything. He just wants to kill Stu and run. Right. Um, because, you know, Stu stole his girl. Stu stole his girl, man. And that's, you know, the, the whole point of it. Uh, during this, while they're out looking, is when Franny takes that first step into breaking into Harold's house. Mm-hmm. She breaks into his house in the basement, steps down onto a chair, and then starts to rummage around through things. Um, and before she can find anything, she hears a knock on the door. And it's Nadine coming to talk to Harold. Right. Um, so. Which is interesting because they haven't had, they hadn't said anything to each other at this point. Right. Yeah. They haven't had any contact yet. They haven't even met face to face yet. Yeah. And we get a lot of like speculation about like what Harold's doing from Franny because his windows are drawn, everything's mm-hmm. locked, and there's no reason to be scared of thievery. Like everything's free here. And well, and there's things. plenty of everything. Yeah. But, you know, again, that. Franny's always going to be suspicious of him because she knows him from the before times. Right. And, yeah, so. So uh, we get this. The rest of this chapter is kind of to illustrate the level of, for me, courage Harold has. Yeah. Harold is not courageous enough to do any of the terrible things to someone's face. He needs to do them from a half a mile away through mm-hmm. a walkie-talkie, and that's how he can. And then that's the only way. That's he when can he can be the big man, right? In front of Stu, right here, when he's alone, he chickens out and he can't do it. Like, and it's you know, there's a moment where like Stu is you know like, hey, like, thank you, like you've done a really great job, like I really mm-hmm. appreciate you, like, blah, blah, blah. and Harold doesn't kill him, and he's just kind of standing there, and he's really disappointed in himself, and Stu just thinks like. He's so disappointed in the situation. I'm sorry, Harold. It really does suck, doesn't it? Yeah, and yeah. It, the the reality of Harold's brain and the perception. Because, you know, Stu's trying to give him the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. Stu believes that there's nothing wrong with him. He's just, he's young and immature. And, you know, maybe he's kind of a jerk. But he's there he's still got hope for him and i think in that moment is just so important because it just informs us that he's not strong enough to do this face to face it will have to be a subtle sabotage thing mm-hmm. that he does yeah yeah so boulder we we kind of also establish in this that it's not just boulder proper it's kind of the the outlying areas and there's a lot of you know parks and natural amphitheaters and things and so it's spread out and they're communicating by walkie-talkie. I mean, things have just really gotten... Yeah, and I think that's pretty much it. You know, Harold comes home. He Oh, Harold comes home, and he realizes that someone has broken into his house because uh, Franny left a footprint in the mm-hmm. dust on the stool. And he gets nervous, so he hides his leisure. Right. Um, and that's pretty much... He swears that he'll get revenge on whoever did it. Yeah, I mean, he's just so angry. So, so, so angry. They go out uh, the next day and they're searching for things uh, and they're looking for stuff and they're hanging out. And, uh, you know, there's not a lot of like really... We get to these parts now where Glenn will just kind of just talk about like what could happen or what's happened in the past. Mm-hmm. And he, this part's important because he pretty much says there's nothing in the past that we could really compare this to. And like he says, the the only thing that really is going to work this time is casting out the devils and white magic. Yes. And we hear that from Glenn. 
Right. So it's gotten to the point now where Glenn, this man who started with the, this is the human condition, this is what humans will do, this mm-hmm. is the only like logical way, this is how humans behave, has gone to, I don't know how anyone's going to act, or I don't know what's going to happen, and we're going to have to rely on white magic. Right. Um, and that's important because later on, Mother Abigail throws that in his face that he says that essentially. Yes. Um, uh, during we get these small little moments where he's just like this is white magic this is what I believe in and the next day his dog shows up too yeah the moment he buys into God and a little bit of magic God rewards him with a dog yeah his Kojak. dog Kojak's back so, Kojak followed them across the country across the country and so he comes in and uh, Glenn just runs up to Stu and he's crying and he's like what's going on are you okay and he's like Kojak's back and he's like what and he's like are you sure it's the same dog and he's like same dog tag answers to the name does this does this and he's like how and he's like I don't know he's beat up he looks terrible he's scraggly but he's here and he's like do you want to come see him and he's like yeah well, yeah and they go see him and he's just there's Kojak laying on the porch just being a good boy and they're just well, and, and Dick's happy because he's got a dog to take care of now. <laughs> yeah, and he's got a little, like, dog to be a vet on, which is what he's been wanting. He is, so, you know, it's nice to be able to go back to your roots after you've been taking care of gangrenous limbs. <laughs> right. Um, and they just love on him real good, which is... Yeah, which is awesome. Beautiful. And then we get this really interesting chapter, which is from Kojak's point of view, and it's just him having, like, a vague dream, kind of, mm-hmm. about the... About his trip. About his trip. And then the big... And it's interesting because it's like, the dark man tried to stop this puppy. Right. And, like, the dark man, like, this dark puppy has some, like, importance in it. And, like, it's important enough that the dark man tried to stop the puppy. The dog, so, yes. So, uh, well, character. Yes. And, you know, when he bites off the the wolves at Mother Abigail's house and hides under the house for a few days. And, yep. I mean, it's just really... It's, it's great to and get... It's, it's a good... Kojak's journey. And I, just the know, entirety of him, like, just wanting to get back to Glenn and wanting to be with the man. The man, yeah. Mm-hmm. The man who was nice to him. You and, know. yeah, just, oh, it was awesome. It was, it's really, really cute. And he, and the dream just changes into him running and, like, being in the middle of the mountains chasing rabbits. And well, there's this really nice moment where they talk about dog dreams. And he's like, as far as I can tell, like, Stu says, as far as I can tell, there's two types of dog dreams. One, when they uh, start growling, that's the bad dream. Mm-hmm. And then the good dream is when their paws are twitching. And those are yeah. only two types. And it just ends, his dream, his paws twitch. So it's just like, Stephen yeah. King just went out of his way to tell you that, like, after all of that, Kojak is having a good dream. Yeah. And it's nice. And it's really neat. It's, it's really, and really I love interesting. Kojak. Um, <laughs> and it was very exciting for Kojak to too, come like, back. It just shows the importance of, like everyone and all of the species yes you know man's best friend yeah a lot louder than me though weird yeah okay um so we get in they're having another meeting of uh the ad hoc committee we're up to august 17th yep oh and this is them um they're putting together the first agenda for the open meeting so Mm -hmm. it's about uh the, the very first one, they haven't even been elected permanently yet. So they're talking about Mother Abigail, the Power Committee, the Search Committee, the Burial Committee. And in secret, they're talking about... Uh, the... the Spies. Scouts. The Scouts, sorry. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's totally a connotation thing. They are spies. They call them scouts to make themselves feel better. Right. Um, Larry is beautiful during this whole section the entire time is just him going i don't know if i can do this like i'm probably gonna make the wrong decision and kill someone but 
I know that I want to be able to protect people as much as possible. Yes. So I'm going to do this. Man, what a character arc Larry the has. <laughs> where Joe or Leo is playing Baby Can I Dig Your Man and he doesn't take credit for it. I, I was cried. like, oh my I was, gosh. That, I was like, he's that's arrived. what it was all for, Larry. <laughs> oh, oh, it was beautiful. Yep. Um, and, uh, so they're in that meeting and this is the meeting where they are, they're planning on having the election. Right. And, and Harold just, you, it, so they've spent to like get there, month, they've like, well, not a month, like a like, week now, pretty much manipulating and planning exactly how to get the seven temporary members elected. elected. And right. Come down Each to of them, them had to go get two somebody, friends, two friends then, to, mm-hmm. to nominate and second them. And then the moment Harold just stands up and he's like, I nominate all seven of you to just continue doing it. And everyone on the committee is stunned because they right. didn't think of that. And two, they kicked Harold off the committee. Right. So there's just this moment of like, why are you doing this? And mm-hmm. they're all floored. And everybody... And the reason he does it, and we immediately see, is because the entire room turns towards Harold and is like, wow, Harold, that's such a great idea. And they start patting on the shoulder. And if that, I mean, it's a good way to, you know, if you can't be the, you know, the political champion, be the people's champion. Mm -hmm. You know, if you don't get the power from just having been elected, take the power from the populace. Let them push you into that. That's where Mother Abigail, that's why she's in charge of anything. It's just because everyone believes in her. Um and uh, they start. They end the committee by having a talk about like where uh, Mother Abigail could be, and uh, you know we get to these moments too where Stephen King just seems to be making fun of town halls a little bit. Where every time they have a moment where the entirety of the congregation can talk, they just come up with these stupidest ideas. And, right. Like you know, like he's like, I don't know, maybe there's aliens out there. Right. And, and they're all just like, no, <laughs> no, it's no. Not aliens. Let's focus. Like, come on, buddy. Uh, and that's all. Well, and and we find out that um, this is not Stu's first supernatural experience. Yeah, from the... uh, 65, right here. So, uh, I don't know. Apparently, Stu has seen John Morrison. Jim Morrison. Jim Morrison from The Doors. (laughs) John Morrison, that's a wrestler. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Not the same person. (laughs) Not the same at all. Jim Morrison, uh, the lead singer and guitars from the doors who is dead at this point and, and has says, been for a while <laughs> mm-hmm. and Stu says no he came up into my gas station one night and just asked me what was west yeah. and it's very interesting a little telling uh and you know you read it and it doesn't really like seem to like mean any significance as you read it but just the fact that Stu is the one telling it Right, because Stu is the practical one. He's grounded. He's He's real grounded. And the fact that he has had this mm, supernatural, odd experience outside of all of this, you know, it it lends you to Stu looking a little less grounded for a minute. Yeah, because you're like, okay. Even Franny is like, Okay, what? Sure. Right, right. Um, and it just kind of, I think it opens up the It shows you that Stu is not close-minded. Yeah. And I mean, think even like earlier on, there was, uh, for also, for a novel in the 70s, it's very sex-forward. Mm-hmm. Stephen King is a very, like, sex-positive person. The way that he talks about uh, same-sex love and the mm-hmm. uh, lesbians and the way that, like, the characters, like, realize that they're lesbian Or, like, yeah. not realize it, but that they 
uh, acknowledge and accept that their uh, one character is a lesbian. Stu's right. like, I don't got enough energy to worry about who's sleeping with who. There's a devil out there. Right. And it yeah. just like, you know, at the end of the day, it really just showed like there are bigger things to worry about than who someone loves. Well, and, you know, I'm going to take a second here and talk about the the evening with Stephen King with the, the Charlotte Hobbs Library hosted uh, last night on the 28th so it'll be like last week when you hear this but um that's something that he talks about is he talks about the way he writes female characters not all of them are great and he is not always real great about the way he writes men and women together but he he does always have a strong female character because he grew up with a single mom and he married a strong woman and he raised a strong woman and he just has always had a respect for that and he feels like he's always felt like that was important um, right to portray in his books and so the fact that you know writing this in the 70s he put women in this place of power um consistently consistently which wasn't necessarily typical in the 70s so um you know and yeah i know that it was updated before it was re-released in the 90s but i have read the unabridged version that was published in the 70s and the women still have those roles of power so that wasn't something that he changed when he republished this right so and that's just nice to see it stay consistent from that point of view. Mm-hmm. So, like, say that, like, you know, there can be institutionalized bad things, but then there can also be, like, progressive-leaning, like, good things, too. Yes. Like, you know, I think full spectrum of a person. No one's yes. made of 100% good or bad things. Exactly. Uh, and, anyways, uh, so we get into uh, this next section that's really important is right after that meeting, uh, Larry and Lucy go home with Leo, and Nadine shows up at the door, and it's... Well, Larry and Lucy go home. Leo went to Nadine Moms. Oh, okay. So he's not even there. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time Nadine is at their house and right. shows up and is essentially wants to talk to Larry alone outside and Lucy's like, Well, all right, it was fun while it lasted and like See you later. There's been this hesitation for her this entire time that Larry would choose Nadine the moment that he was able to. Mm-hmm. So Larry goes outside and Nadine does throw himself herself at Larry. It's almost like she's just something Happened. She knows. This is the point when she knows that this. If she may, if she can get Larry tonight, she's going to be saved. Saved. I mean, yeah. Well, she's going to be saved. She's going to be saved from the dark man. Yeah, How about that. that she's going to be saved from the dark man. She knows, and she part of her's made this decision. But then, and so she is something else. Um, throwing herself at him, and just it's. It's almost embarrassing. <laughs> I mean, I'm embarrassed for her because, you know, that's that's a lot to put yourself out there like that. And then he was like, nah. Um, they say it later on, but Nadine waited specifically mm-hmm. to like it, it to when like Larry was too far in love with Lucy. Yes. You know, yeah. it was after he'd been established as like a leader. He'd been seen as a figurehead. He'd turned to Lucy for those moments of like support and like like to lean on and. Once you start allowing someone into your life like that, it's a lot harder to just, like, break their heart and run away from them. Right, right. He, She waited until he was established with her, and so she knew in her heart of hearts that he was not going to pick her. Yeah, and she pretty much says that if you don't, I'm going to die and mm-hmm. like things are going to like go and he's like why don't you tell me what's going to happen she's just like I can't I can't tell you and he's just no 
and she goes to leave and he just feels so guilty all of a sudden he's just like it's fine like that's Rita Blakemore walking away from me again right. I need to save her I need to do something and she's gone by the time that he realizes that well and it's this last line is or this last couple of paragraphs of this section is kind of important his head jerked up his eyes widened until they seemed to bulge from his face the wind had picked up again made a strange hooting sound from some empty doorway and farther away he thought he could hear, hear boot hills pacing off the night run down boot hills somewhere in the foothills coming directly to him on the chilly draft of this early morning breeze dirty boot hills clocking their way into the grave of the west Dark man's in charge of everything. Mm-hmm. Dark man has a lot more power, like than the holy side. That's for sure. Well, and and he's. I think that that's where Larry recognizes that th- they have to do something. Right. They have to do something. Right. 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 Um, and uh, then there's just this nice moment where Lucy realizes that Larry's choosing her, and yeah, go back and, and and that's I, and. Like, really choosing her. Like, she really wins this time. It's yep. not just a temporary win. This is this is the choice he has made for the duration. And it's just, it's really beautiful. Like, Larry's character development, like, that's where it comes to, like, that's the changed man. Mm-hmm. In that moment, that's the changed it man really that is. we've it's been It's so towards. neat because, you know, Larry at the beginning would have chosen Nadine. He would have taken it. He would have just been like, I'll take that. And now he's like, I can't take that because I'm giving this to someone else. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, that's the point, Larry. You get it. You get it, yeah. Oh, it's wonderful. Uh, So it's important here to remember that Leo went to Nadine's house. Leo was at Nadine's. And now that Larry has rejected Nadine, she goes and packs her things. Yeah, she does. So, I forgot that. So she goes home. Leo is sleeping on the couch. And, like, it's implied, like, Leo was waiting for her. Yeah. So she goes there, and she's just so upset about being rejected. She packs up all of her things, and she finds the Ouija board that she'd been hiding, the, mm-hmm. the planchet, and she runs off into the night, abandoning Leo there. Again. Again. Poor Leo. Yeah. It's, and like Now, you know, he was not abandoned in the sense of somebody walked away from him, but he was abandoned in the sense that his family died. And now this woman who had rescued him and adopted him and saved him has also abandoned him. I mean, good God, the trauma for that poor kid. Isn't that what you just want? Yeah. And so uh, Nadine goes off to the top of a mountain and uh, she talks with the planchet and we don't really get to hear what the planchet says to her it just starts talking to her right and then um we get this flashback and it's the first time that nadine has talked to the dark man and we like not the first well talked probably but essentially it's the first time she's ever done anything kind of like supernaturally or anything since she was 16 when that first thing happened Mm -hmm. and now she's in college and they have a ouija board and they're just having and she's like like, nah and they're like oh come on and she's like nah and then peer pressure wins out right and she ends up going over and uh they all put their fingers on the planchet and the dark man finally has a way to talk to his beloved Right, and it's not just a toy. All of a sudden, it's not just a toy and a joke anymore. Yeah, and, and their fingers get glued to it, and it ends up spelling out, Nadine, Nadine, I love you. If you're pure for me and clean, uh, if you're not, I'll kill you. You're dead. You're dead with the rest of them. And to say the least, her friends get a little scared. Right, her, her <laughs> former friends. <laughs> yeah, they're not her friends after this night, and she gets ostracized really bad. And then the very last thing it says is, we are in the house of the dead, Nadine. Mm-hmm. And 
now, you know, it's probably talking about how she's in the house of, like, the sorority house where everyone's dead. Right. But it could be very alluding to, you know, Las Vegas, like, somewhere where they're that there. And, you know, I think for these entities, for the Dark Man, like, time is obviously not linear. It is very nebulous and sick. Yes. Like, maybe. I, like, I agree. It's very timey-wimey, you know, if he can pop it in is. at the 69 and then pop in at 90s and... You know, he's obviously not confined he's, to time like right. They are. He's 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 outside of the normal flow. So it, it makes sense to me that he could be talking about that moment there. He could be talking about the future with him in Las Vegas. He could be talking about almost any moment with Nadine in when he's talking to her. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just realized that in that moment, Nadine was scarred, terrified, and traumatized. And through the course of this novel, she's gotten to the point now where she'd rather be scarred, traumatized with that planchet and everything, almost scarred and traumatized with what's known, mm-hmm. than take that risk of being scarred and scared and traumatized of what's new, right. of sleeping with Larry, of possibly you know sleeping with someone else, getting hurt, and then the dark man hurting her even worse. Right. All right, so we get right into chapter 54, and... Uh, Here's yeah. just, it's just minutes here. It is just minutes, but they make decisions about sending the scouts west. And um, they they figure out that there's a lot more people there yeah. than they think. Because, you know, they, they start analyzing what was going on at the meeting. And there was a lot more people there than they thought. Um, and they essentially decide that they're... Uh, they open up the census committee in that meeting, and then they also open up the law and order committee, and mm-hmm. they make Stu essentially like the marshal. The marshal, yeah, yeah which I think makes sense. Oh, so much sense. It like, just yeah. absolutely, because again, he didn't want that. Well, and I just think like, the, like and you're saying, though, Stu's really coming to himself, you he know? He really did. And Franny says it later on, she's really proud of him. She's just like, this is a version of Stu that would have never existed if it wasn't for this. Right. And I think that that's part of the thing, too, is, you know, some and of these people might have... It really leads you to believe that these people were just kind of lazing through life waiting for this to happen. Yeah. You know, it's like this was what they were like here for. Right. Well, and and it's also where they realize they have a specific uh, instance of somebody leaving. Right. Because they have, they have a name, and they his his motorcycle's gone, and his things are gone. They know he's left. That's why they know that they need somebody to kind of be keeping track of who's, who's coming leaving. and going. And then they also get the. Uh, you know, they end it with just kind of the idea of what happens when someone does leave. What do we do mm-hmm. with them? Yeah. You know, that thought of, like, we all need to be coming up with an idea to, like, do this. And uh, they end up, uh, for this is the point, too, where uh, we get from Harold's point of view where he joins the uh, uh, burial committee. Mm-hmm. And this is a big section of him going through the first day at the burial committee, working with these men, doing these things, and... They end up giving him a, 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 a nickname, Hawk, at the end. Yeah. And at the at first, he's like, what, are they making fun of me? And he's like, no, I've, I've lost a lot of weight. I'm pretty, like, smart. Like, they're probably just giving me a nickname. Right. And this is a point. This is probably the last point. This is, like, the point where he chooses, like, what side he's He on. has to. This is the last point that he has to make an active decision about whether he's going to, you know, let all of those things in the past be bygones right. and and come into this new herald and be a good human and do the right things or if he's going to continue to hold all the these grudges and just be a nasty person and but this is the point when they give him that nickname and they try to include him right that he has to make that final decision and it 
comes just to the head where, where it comes to the point where he says, if you have a strong enough opinion to be able to resist their low opinions, you have to have a strong enough will to resist their good opinions. And mm-hmm. he's just like, I guess like that's the logic I have to live by, but it doesn't make any sense. And he ends up going home and Nadine is sitting there on his porch waiting for him. Yeah. And this is right after Nadine had like, she had gone just away. went out to the mountain. She just talked to the dark man and she comes right down to Harold and it's the first thing that like she's just the dark man told me to come to you he told me that like you're gonna solve my problems and that I am here to uh, you know do you right and she says I have to save myself for the dark man but everything else is fair game Harold whatever you want to do and Harold, we've spent 800 par- pages just knowing that Harold is the horniest 16-year-old boy in existence. <laughs> right. So the moment, the moment he has to either decide to be a good person and save the community or to actually have sex for the first time, not even sex, to just get kind of close to having sex, mm-hmm. he immediately chooses sex. Right. There's not a, a, a moment's, moment's hesitation. Not a bit. Not a bit. So, you know, and and nadine was i mean she was sent there right she was sent there to make sure he made that choice yeah, exactly he, he probably you know the dark man felt that hesitation that, mm-hmm. they made, that moment where he's like you know what kind of logic is this that i'm not going to like believe in their good opinions of me and it's like well we need to give him a distraction so he's not thinking about those existential thoughts of like change right you know that's the reason larry changed is because you know rita died and he had those three days of just existential like who am i what am i doing here like right. how can i be better exactly and Harold's never been alone. He's never had he's that never time. He's never had that time mm-hmm. to to fall terms with himself. Well, and he's never had the chance to fall apart to put himself back together in right. a different way. You can't become you can't change unless you fail. Right. Yeah. And and then even if you do fail, if you aren't given the opportunity to have to put yourself back together. I because think for Harold he never like but he never really... He never gave himself he, the grace to put himself back together. No. And he never really failed at anything either. I mean, he was... No, when you look at it, like, he is pretty successful at everything and he attempts everything throughout And everything he attempts it. throughout this, you know, even though he had been bullied and treated bad, but he was really smart and he was really... I think now, though, we know that it's the influence of the dark man. Right. You know, if Larry's going to have so much trouble doing, like, that one task of getting gassed, but then Harold does it, like, immediately, yes, that is, you know, Harold's smart. And clever but also you know the dark man has very obviously shown that he's more willing to directly involve himself mm-hmm. in the lives of his uh paragons whereas god is not right. he's really stepped aside and let them figure it out on their own which yeah. is you know god's whole thing you got free will like you need to figure it out there are things i want you to do but if you don't like uh, well sucks right you know um and i think that's a really like fun through way in the novel is just that it's constantly that the idea of free will it is yours to choose this is what's wanted of you but you do get the option to say no yes um and harold has that option he has the option to say no to nadine but uh he does but not. he can't he can't and like you know nadine is like the hottest silver fox at this point like the way that like like stephen king's just gone out of his way to describe like the like even, like, the attractive women in the book talk about how they see themselves as nothing compared to Nadine. Right. right. So the fact that Harold is all of a sudden getting this this woman that is saved for the devil herself, literally, it, it it's definitely an older a woman power play and for an him. older and, Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. To be desired by that older, like, strong, independent mm-hmm. woman like that. Mm-hmm. Um, chapter 55. And well, and, and that chapter concludes with, 
Harold. And Harold Louders has come to his destiny. Brilliant you know? line. Uh, yes. Line. Uh, yeah. Um, and chapter and that summarizes chapter 54. 54 <laughs> is Harold having a good time. Harold choosing to have a good time over being a good guy. Right. Chapter 55 is, like we talked about earlier, it's a, it's a, it's a meaningful chapter, and it's really, really great. Um, it is the judge, Dana, and uh, Tom, Tom leaving and deciding to go west. And or being asked, asked to go being west. Being asked and accepting. Yes. Yeah. And each one of them, uh, Dana and the judge know immediately. Like They're like, yeah, we know why you're coming to ask. Tom has a vague feeling. And yeah. then they hypnotize him, and then he gives them information about Randall Flagg that they didn't know. Yes. He tells them their, his name for the first time, and none of them had known his name until this moment. And then they find out he's the, the he sees his face, mm-hmm. which is not a regular occurrence for Right, everyone. yeah, nobody else has seen his face, or at least can like make it out and everything. So after hypnotizing Tom, they get very uh, scared, to say the least. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And this is, I think, this is the spot where they understand why Nick chose Tom. Right. Because this is the point where everybody else gets to see, well, Stu and Ralph get to see how how, how advanced how Nick sees him. Yeah. Gets to see him how Nick sees him. And, uh,. He says yes, and we get this small little moment of just Harold working on the burial committee. And a lot of these moments with Harold are just him silently working on the burial committee. People trying to be really friendly and nice to him and pull him in, and him mm-hmm. just just silently thinking about how he's going to kill everyone. Yeah, and his and, and his practicing his fake smile some more. Yep, you know, and it's just you know it's at that point now. You know he's gotten everything he wants out of this, and if you're getting to the point where you can't find any more wants and you don't want to do anything for anything, he's just gonna seems like that's his natural cycle at this mm-hmm. point yeah uh, we get to 56 which is kind of for me this chapter was really important because it set up all of the normal day stuff that's going on all of the good things that are in everyone's life it sets up franny has a chance with these babies it sets up their like little home life right lucy and uh um larry are doing really well in their relationship and even leo has uh, like really taken to them as yes, his parents, as his parents and now because Nadine abandoned Nadine him. Nadine abandoned him, and there's this moment too where she comes back to get her things in this chapter, and Leo just stares at her. Well, she, and 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 there's a disconnect where she relates to him as Joe instead of Leo yeah, again and, for a minute. Yep, and, and that's oh, heartbreaking. Heartbreaking because it's also the dark man's probably messing with the way that she sees Leo, mm-hmm. just so that way, like I don't know. I think what's interesting about Leo is he could have, he's one of the ones that could end up on either side in these moments. He's seeing, he's having very good dreams of both sides of Mother Abigail and of the Dark Man. So it makes me think he's a Tom character. You know, he's one of the, he is one of the Tom characters. He He has the vision. He He can see past things. Yeah. And, you know, we see those characters try to be pulled on to the other side. Mm -hmm. You know, Tom got tried to be pulled on by Laurie. And we see uh, Joe is very clearly trying to be egged on by uh, Nadine. Mm-hmm. But there's Nadine is just such a wishy-washy character the whole novel that she doesn't do anything. Right. And, and it's really, it's hard because, you, you know, it's kind of set up from the beginning where she's going to end up. But she doesn't commit to that. Right. And she's just constantly... She knows what she has to do, and the entire time is just her trying to decide if she's strong enough to fight her destiny. And yeah. she never is. And she never is. And she comes back to see uh, 
uh, she goes back to grab her things, some of her things, and Leo's just there, and she realizes that Leo hadn't left. Like, he hadn't done anything. He'd just been waiting for her. Right. And she gets really, she starts to feel really guilty. Leo doesn't say a single thing. And Leo, there's this part, too, where uh, I guess Leo just really feels like he's done something wrong by becoming Leo again. Mm-hmm. And so, so he regresses he back regresses to being to Joe. Joe in the attempt to, like, get Nadine to stay with him, to, like, love him still. And she says, well... It's not like you want me anyways. Like, you don't need me. And she just abandons him for again again. Again. Yeah, and it's, it's really... And to his face this time. And, it, you know, I think that Nadine spent this entire time talking about how murder is the worst thing that a soul can do. And it's not... It's definitely abandoning children over and over again. Oh, yeah. That's significantly <laughs> that's, worse. That's significantly bad. Like, it's I awful. can justify so many different murders in my head. Like, you know, like, you know, if I saw someone murder someone else, like, you know, like... I'm not saying, like, murder that person, but also it's a lot easier to go, like, well, you did murder someone. Right. But there's not a lot of justification for abandoning your child in any sense. No, there's not. No, not at all. And Nadine leaves and just abandons him completely. And we get treated to uh, the next meeting, and not a lot happens in this meeting. The big reason it's important, though, is because this is the first time they get pushback from a Teddy Wyzak guy. Yeah. And he's just... uh, he wants to be on the law enforcement committee, um, and they're like, or no, that's not what it is. He's the one, uh, they he, they recommend the judge, and he's the one that starts asking and digging questions, like, what happened yes. to the judge? Where is right, it? Right, right, because they want... The judge isn't going to do that. He does right. not seem like the one, like, you know, that would do that. And uh, they sit up there, and they just listen to what everyone said. Uh, and... That's pretty much, you know, it's really just kind of setting that tone of this is the daily, like, routine now. Yeah, and I mean, this is where it gets real hard here because they, Teddy said that he saw the judge leave to go to Denver and, you know, they have to make an excuse for why the judge isn't back. Right. And uh, they end up, you know, just... I don't remember exactly what they said. I think they just kind of deflect and like. Yeah, they do. They just deflect. Judge Ferris is an old man. What if he got sick in Denver and can't get back? You know, Denver's a big place. You know, what what, are we going to send up to look for one? One dude in the middle of Denver. One dude in the middle of Denver. Two. That's crazy. And so they end up uh, concluding the meeting and just moving on, you know, like the typical government style kind of thing. Well, that that and they um, this is where they set up the uh, turning off committee. Because they've they've had the power on right. and, and the blue, and so um, they talk about that, that we're real close to getting things back on track, but we got to do these things to get there. And then this is the moment where Stu finds out that uh, uh, Dana was bisexual, mm-hmm. and there's a really funny joke where uh, Stu says, you saying she hates men? And Susan says, no, uh, shook, her head, shook her head. She's bi now. And Stu says, bi now? <laughs> and it's just funny and uh you know it, it's a good sex positive stance from like a seven a novel written 42 years ago like, right it's great and uh they get the power up committee they start turning off things uh they're going about their days august 27th they decide that they shouldn't have a meeting until uh as far away as they can three weeks september 16th is when they think a, a big meeting a town another town hall a meeting big town hall meeting and they set a small one for the 6th. Um, 
which is when they're going to have, like, the time for everyone to come and, like, uh, tell them what's had happened. Mm -hmm. And during this time is when the doctor shows up for the first time. Yeah. So now we have our doctor, and he comes and tells us the story of while he was on the road, he gave birth to twins, and they both died immediately. Mm -hmm. And they went to give an autopsy to figure out why they had died, and they wanted to do that. But the mother had ran away in the middle of the night and buried her babies and refused to tell where that, where because they didn't she didn't want her babies to be operated on like that and you know it's a rough decision i see it i get it but also you're in the apocalypse like yeah and but but grief is grief, grief is, is a hard thing um then we uh we're just slowly going day by day and now we're on the august 29th and we're at uh three groups came in seven members and you know, there's 1000 residents now in bolt bear yeah and you know it's just now slowly like we just get these random names and characters and everything that are popping in and now we get this scene at the very end is just harold in his basement building a bomb while nadine watches on and like makes little comments and harold's confidence has gone way up um to the point where like he's telling like nadine to shut up and like telling like being very misogynistic oh yeah he's awful well, I mean, he's awful anyway, but he's no, yeah, really he's, awful to he's her. He's coming to his own as a villain now. Yeah. He's leaning into it. And I think that that's the thing, too, is, you know, there's that mo- there's those moments where he's trying to not... He knows he's a villain, but he doesn't he doesn't want to feel that way or put that out because he knows he's going to feel guilty about it. Mm-hmm. And now he's just moved past that, and he's like, I'm going to do whatever I want, and there's no guilt about it. Like, I'm not going to have any regrets. Like, right. Yeah, that's just how he's living his life now. And... And they make a plan. You know, they've got a plan that they're going to put him the next committee meeting was on September 2nd. And they're going to put the bomb in that house. Mm-hmm. The next day, Larry is sitting on his porch with Leo and they're talking and uh, Leo is playing with a little ball. And then uh, they're chatting for a second and the ping pong ball, the funk, 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 you know, you don't realize that he's just it's almost hypnotic it. it is hypnotic and yeah. leo ends up getting hypnotized by the ping pong ball that he's playing with on abstinent accident and it says here leo had gone to see the elephant which we learn earlier is tom's key phrase to right. activate his hypnotism mm-hmm. and from that point on leo just enters this you know this savant mode where he's just not talking he's just putting out the voice of god you know right and he says you know and franny knows you need to go talk to franny about harold yeah well and and it also talks about here a little bit where um leo's reading his mind larry's mind a little bit yeah they and larry runs an experiment because you know he's like "Mm, i don't know this weird and uh so he he thinks about they talk about um carrie grant and then leo asks who that is so larry thinks something very specific and leo's like yeah he was an actor in notorious and northwest and so you know larry gets confirmation that he is kind of reading his mind and through all this too like this is the moment for larry where he's like this is the moment for larry where he comes to terms with the idea of these supernatural feelings, mm-hmm. you know, he has all this and he's like, you know, if uh, someone can intuit things and I believe in that why and Leo has been able to like almost read my mind this whole time and like right. receive these things, then why can't he be telling me these things? And like he, he digs into it a little bit. He leans into it and he, he doesn't there's just a, a tad bit of doubt in Larry, but stronger than that doubt is the just belief that Leo's right. Right. And right. I think after, you know, you've had a month and a half of just Harold Lauder acting as suspicious as can be, 
then you know and like and then all of a sudden the voice of get god this. says like you should he's suspicious you should go check right. him out like it kind of just it's confirmation bias yeah it is and you know that he leo tells larry uh, larry asks, you miss your nadine mom don't you leo and leo says she's dead yeah so you know leo knows that when he when she left him that last time that whatever was left of the potential decision to make the good decision or to to stay on the good side with nadine is is over um he knows and this is where he tells larry that and right. it, yeah, it's just really wow leo is a good character i'm enjoying him a lot and yes. i'm excited to see like if this i think the, the interesting thing too is there's a lot of characters that like i'm not sure if we're going to see him again yeah you know a lot of these free zone characters that uh, you know it's either they kind of on the way back and like resolving things but i don't know if they're going to play too many of a pivotal role much more right uh so larry goes to see fran immediately like he just can't continue his day without they go and talk and they end up comparing their stories of when they were at harold's house you know, she comes clean, like, I broke in, and, like, I found this. And then Larry's like, well, I found this uh, ledger. And then they both has this idea where she says something, well, I think, like, you know, it started when he read my diary. And then they have this brain blast together. Right, because Larry's like, the barn that he put the sign on. You remember the night I met you and I said he'd been up in the loft and then Harold carded his initials in that beam? And she's like, well, yeah. And he goes, well... It wasn't just his. It was yours, too. Right. In a heart. The kind of thing a lovesick little boy would do on a school desk. And it's just... So that's when she... I She's known for a while that she did Harold wrong, but now she... It, it's like this... She just... I don't think she ever realized, like, where his head was at in the beginning right. of the relationship. Like, of this. Like, for him, he was already in a relationship with her. Right. And because they were all started. that was... Right. Yeah. Um. And so they go and... Uh, that night, uh, they figured it out, and then they decide the next day we're going to go uh, while he's at the burial crew and Nadine's out doing whatever she's doing. We're going to go break into the house. And mm -hmm. Fran just can't bring herself to tell Stu, and she's just really upset I mean, about everything. because he's the sheriff. Yeah. <laughs> you know, wouldn't that just be something? Yeah, and the, her, his first act as sheriff is to arrest his, uh, his boo. Right. And... Uh, we get to the day, the first, and we start seeing just everybody's getting all the generators. They're working on them really hard. Um, and then they get the power on. Mm -hmm. And then out of nowhere, one of the generators uh, lights on fire and they turn everything Yeah, it off. overloads, right. But in that failure is so much excitement and happiness. It's because, I mean, the power's coming back. Like, right. That is very exciting. It's funny, too, that we know that the Darkman's had power, like, for Since a month the beginning. Now, like, well, maybe right. two months. Since they so. got there because mm -hmm. the generators never went out in Vegas. Convenient, huh? Um, I mean, that, that does, you know, lend to credence to what Glenn said, that that they would have power first, the, that the other camp would would get the get the trains running on time, is how he put it. And right. And that schedule would just draw people in because they, they want to return to that normalcy. Right. That structure. And then... So the next day, Fran and Larry go and break in to Nadine and Harold's house. Mm -hmm. Harold's out on the burial crew, and Nadine is out doing his chore or something. And uh, they well, get what we there. find out is yeah, she's actually out there planting the bomb in Ralph's house right now. Yes. So they're inside of the house. They break in through the same window, um, and it's locked this time. So Larry actually just busts the window in, pretty much mm -hmm. coming to the conclusion that if there's nothing wrong, then he'll probably just think it was a kid breaking windows. Right. And if there is 
something inside that they find, then probably not coming back anyways. Exactly. So they break in and they go and look through everything and they end up finding the ledger um, because like we had said earlier, Nadine moved it back to where it was. Um, but as they climb into the basement, they find some wires and a box of walkie-talkies and they basically find all of the bomb making materials, materials that Harold but don't put using. it together and they just don't connect all the dots there and they find the ledger upstairs and they start reading through it and they just and and they're terrified because it's his manifesto it, i mean he's mm-hmm. he'd make the first line in it is i'm going to kill Stuart redmond so it, it it uh it really you know informs them that they were not wrong for thinking these things yes so they end up uh heading out um and they are going to, they don't know what to do, so they go back to Stu, and they give Stu the book, and Stu's reading it, and as they are leaving, um, we switch over point of views to Nadine. To Nadine, and yeah. And Nadine is hiding the shoebox bomb inside of the closet where they're going to have the committee meeting. Right, because they're, they're going to meet it at Ralph and Nick's, Nick's. And so uh, during, while they're breaking in, she's breaking in, and it's a fun little back and forth scene mm-hmm. of like, you know, breaking and entering is used on both sides but it's to what ends is it used right and uh she plants the bomb and she goes to leave and she has the entire time she's playing the bomb she's like i could just not do this and like everything would be fine and you know i can make this choice to not murder everyone but she doesn't she leaves the bomb and then she tries to leave and as she's leaving on the scooter um she gets rewarded by the dark Mm, sorry as she's leaving she gets on her scooter and she's starting to drive away she gets rewarded essentially by the dark man it really feels and she gets pulled into another reality into hell and she's there and the dark man's there and he pretty much you know I, it feels like and to me this is where them, them consummating their relationship yeah this is the first time that they have sex well and, and then he says nadine they know they know nadine they know so oh no this is where her hair turned white that is where it happened. It wasn't when she was messing with the, the Ouija board the first time. It or gets the, whiter. Then. It gets whiter. It and gets then whiter then, but this time it's when it's... She comes back from that vision. She comes back from hell, and she's back where she was. And what's interesting, too, is in this vision for Nadine, the things that were in hell have been brought back to the real world, too. Mm-hmm. So she has these speakers that were all talking to her in the hell, and now they've come here to the real world. And they're telling her to go to the Sunrise Amphitheater, waiting with Harold, and uh, then come to me. Uh and she comes to find Harold, who's still at the burial crew. He has been doing his normal work for the day. Like, he doesn't know anything's happened. But Larry and Franny have found his ledger at this point. So, like, right. they're just going to stew to, like, like figure right. out what to do. And she says, we need to go now. And Harold's like, how do you know? And he, he told me. Yeah. And in that moment, they're both like, well, all right. Looks like it's uh, there's no more waiting. Um, and... Uh, they just they uh go back to their uh, they don't go back to their house no they never go back to the house they, they just they, run they, and they get their camping gear and what they need on the way out mm-hmm. um so they go out there Larry and Fran are and then that's the end of that chapter is them running out of town we end to chapter fifty eight and Fran and Larry are sitting there uh, downstairs in Stu and Fran's house and Stu is reading the book. And, he's, well, and, and Leo's got the guitar. Yeah, Stu's reading the ledger. This is great. Well, and I, this is Larry. a great moment for Larry. Mm-hmm. And it, it's fun that it happens here at this call to adventure moment. At mm-hmm. this moment, like the biggest precipice. You know, Larry can stand up and be like, I'm the guy that wrote that song. And now I'm the guy that's going to save the world. Or he can be there and just, you know, yeah, that's a good song. Like, I remember yeah. it too. And 
uh, and that's what he does. You know, he's not he's not trying to be the center of attention anymore. He's content with who he is. Mm-hmm. He's come to terms with it. And Leo is playing all these songs, and eventually Leo ends up playing "Baby Can I Dig Your Man." And Fran's like, "Wow, this song's so good! I remember it right before it was popular. I just can't remember the name." And, Fran- and Larry's just like, "Yeah, it's crazy, right?" <laughs> right. Um, and, and you know, if if Franny had have made that connection, if she'd have been able to pick the name out of her head, that would have probably been a lot different uh, situation there. Right. You but know. the fact that it was just like one of those like names that she heard once and mm-hmm. forgot probably like really humbled Larry pretty good yeah. there. Yeah. Um Stu finishes the book and he's pretty much like, This is concerning, this is dangerous, we need to do it, but we can't do it without talking to everyone. So they decide that tomorrow night at the meeting they're mm-hmm. going to bring it up to everyone and decide what they should do. But until then they're gonna go to their house and they're going to arrest them. Right. Uh I don't know if they're going to arrest them. They're going to go talk to them at least. Right. But, but I mean, it, it implies that they're going to... They're going to definitely watch them. They're going to... Right. They're not going to let them hang out on their own anymore. So they go there and they're gone. And Fran sees it as a little a blessing. Like, oh, they just realized that they needed to go. Like, oof, thank goodness. So the next... It just times jumps in 14 hours later and we're sitting in the living room of Nick and Ralph's house and they're about to have that meeting. Mm-hmm. And the next, like, 25 pages... Or no, it's not even next 25. It's like seven or eight pages, isn't it? Yeah. Ten pages, actually. It goes next, back and forth between the meeting between and Harold. Between the meeting and Harold. And Harold's sitting on this, uh, on a picnic table, legs crossed, walkie-talkie in his hand, just waiting for the complete darkness. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's, um, like, symbolic. He wanted to make sure that, like, there was no, no light of God that could protect mm-hmm. them, you know? So in total darkness, he's able to make sure that his plan can go as good as possible. Um, but he just doesn't account for the small miracles like either so they're going through and they're having like a particularly normal meeting and nothing seems uh crazy and uh they're talking about how many more people are here and uh then uh franny starts getting these little feelings of dread out of nowhere and it's fun because there's this very specific moment where she uh Franny readjusts herself and plants herself more firmly against the closet door. Mm-hmm. And we as the reader just know that, like, oh, my God, that's where the that's bomb where is, the bomb is. Yeah. And, you know, you have this, there's so much suspense in these this writing of this. This is probably one of my favorite parts of it, too. Yeah. Um, the suspense buildup here is great. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, you know, every five or six paragraphs were going back and forth between the meeting and Franny and And it's so interesting Harold to me because and- the subject of the meeting is how do we punish people? Right. While, well, that's one of the yeah. That but that is one the of the biggest topics. crime that is coming mm-hmm. to the free zone is about to happen. Yeah. So you know that you have that like, what do we do to the bad people when they do bad things to us? While a bad person's about to do something bad to them. So it's really like that irony there is really interesting. Yeah. Um, and so Franny stands up out of nowhere. She's just zoned out completely for everything, and she says, "We need to get out of here right now." Harold looks and he uh, he's about to he's just got to press the send button and say words into the walkie talkie mm-hmm. and we're just getting back and forth back and forth until uh, Franny scream stands up everybody get out and at that same moment motorcycles start to pop in so uh, what is it? I think Stu's the first one out Stu is the first one to run outside and he uh, sees because he's like scared about what the motorcycles are right and but it's then he Dick sees it's Dick and Ralph. Oh, no, it's just Dick. Dick it's Bowman. Dick and, and a, a group from town. Teddy Wyzak. That's the other yeah. name I knew. And they're coming shouting, Mother Abigail's back, which people inside here, and they start running outside. And that, with the combination of Franny screaming, everyone, get out, get out, get out, um, gets most of the people out. But then there's like six or seven left. 
And Nick well, is one of the people standing in the middle of the room. Right. Because he's having a premonition and he can't hear anything. But someone tells him there's something in the closet. Right. So he so goes and... He turns around, sees Fran, he pushes her towards the door and runs to the closet. And his last thought is, I hope that I have enough time. Like, pray to, praying to God that he has enough time. Yes. And then uh, he finds the shoebox. And just as the shoebox, he finds the shoebox, he hears Harold's voice come through it. Well, he doesn't. Harold's voice comes through, but he doesn't hear it. Probably not because it's one of the explosion. Know. Yeah. So uh, he's deaf. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Nick still can't hear. So he has no idea that Harold's voice is coming from it. He just right. grabs it. And, you know, this is like what we were saying. The only way that Harold is uh, courageous enough to take act, account for the things that he did is from a mile away through a walkie talkie. Yep. And so through the walkie talkie, he says, uh, my name is Harold Louder and I do this of my own free will. Um, and the explosions start going off. Boom, 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 explosion. And then it cuts to Franny and Franny's sitting there on the, uh, lawn and she'd been thrown forward and she can't see anything. And then out of nowhere, just some giant thing falls on her Mm -hmm. and she gets knocked unconscious. And that's where we end that chapter. Yeah. Just kind of, you know, it's a good way for us as the audience to be taken out of it, to let the rest of the action resolve without Steve having to... Right, because we don't need every single description. And this kind of comes back to the whole gore thing. We don't need the gory details. We do get one really gory detail, too. We do, but uh, but we don't need all of them. But we don't need all of them. And I think that one important detail is just good because it's her constantly wondering if that's Nick's arm. Mm -hmm. Um, And we find out Nick dies there. Yeah, oh my gosh. That was unexpected, to say the least. I did not think Nick Andros was going to be the character to die. The way he dies, just trying to protect everyone, is beautiful and brilliant. And the way that it's so important, but subtle and nonchalant at the same time. Just the, the Nick, it really just shows you that in this story, you can be the most important character. You can be Nick Andros. You can be Mother Abigail. But when you die, it doesn't matter. The rest of the story has, has to keep to going. Has to go on, yeah. So, you know, you can be the main character. But once you're not the main character anymore, the story didn't stop. Yeah, the story didn't stop. And, like, that's what's really cool and mm-hmm. really well done about this is uh, especially the passing of the torch, you know? The fact that right. Nick was the one that had to be there to be the the precursor of leadership for Stu, to mm-hmm. teach Stu how to do this, to be there to, like, show Stu, like, you have to be, you know, be able to magnanimous. You have to be right. able to, like, take care of everyone and worry about everyone. And it just does a really good job. It, yeah, it's it's, it's uh, so powerful. And so we get to chapter 59, and it's from Franny, and she uh, comes to in the hospital, and then Stu is able to tell Franny. Comes to, but she's still a little out of it. Yeah, she's in a lot of pain. She's yes. uh, ended up, she's got a sprained back, and she ended up uh, getting whiplash. And what we find out is that when she was thrown to the ground, a couch was Fell thrown and her. flew on top of her and was like propulsed on top of her. So it hurt her a lot. And but it also protected her from all of the other explosions mm-hmm. and everything. Yep, exactly. Um, so she's hurt, but she's alive. Yes. And she asks about the baby and uh, Richardson's able to tell her that the baby is fine. Um, and she's really happy about that. And then they talk about Harold and Nadine and come to the conclusion that, you know, it was them. Mm-hmm. And she has that realization that there was all those parts down in the basement. And she's like, I should have known that that's what they were doing. And um, it's because right, but at the same said, time, uh, But at the same time, there's no earthly reason why she should know that. No, there's no way you could have known that. Um, and uh, 
you know, we're at the point now where Stu's talking and he he's done. He's over. Like, you can just, there's this sense of, like, I want to finish this. I want right. to, like, accomplish this task so I can live the rest of my life because I cannot live like this anymore. Right. He's, exactly. He's done. He's, he's done playing games. He just wants it to be over. He just wants things. He just wants to get back to some something resembling normal. Right. And, uh, you know, I think that's his resolution in that moment. He's going to mm-hmm. fix it. He's going to figure it out. And we get, the next thing that we hear is we just get this long section of Larry just being, it's so much survivor skill in Larry's voice. He is just so disappointed that he's alive when good people died, Mm -hmm. especially Nick. He cannot believe that he's alive and Nick is dead. And... And, and and it's and it's on top. We of almost get a glimpse of the old Larry here, yeah, that and impressive, it's like yeah. he can't pull himself out of it. Um, and then, uh, you know, it's Lucy, and uh, you know, having Lucy there and having like Leo and having people, people who to are care like are depending on depend. Him. Yeah, yeah. He has. He knows. I mean part of him is feeling guilty because the old Larry and part of him is, you know, no, I'm this new person and look at all these people that, yeah. And so it's interesting too, because he has this amount of guilt too, because he really associates Nadine doing this with him turning her down. Yes. So he ends up having this, that amount of guilt that he just isn't responsible for it. Right. And you know, it's it's easy for Lucy to say no. It's really not your fault. You know she was just not, she was going to do this anyway. It's not your fault. But Larry, there's always going to be that chance. Like if I had just you know right. gotten with her, like there would everyone still be alive? Would Nick still be here? Right. Um, from there we uh, we get some uh, important stuff about uh, pretty much where mother abigail is yeah. and where the state of the community is and it's not great like it's nobody not. in the community feels it's, safe it's anymore a, right it is, it everybody's is kind of now. in a dark place um your mother abigail is back and they, they know that she's i mean they know she's, she's gonna, gonna die. die there's not anything think, left know, they had this false sense of security since they were all there together and you know togetherness breeds security so yeah. you know once that all flew out the coop and like was gone it you know, like that base instinct of survival came back quick. Mm-hmm. And so they're at this meeting and they're the only thing they can talk about is what to do about the dark man. Right. And they end up, uh, you know, they don't really come to any conclusions, but the fact that all of them stand up together and they all are talking about the same issue and they all want the same thing gives a mm-hmm. lot of them hope. Yes. Just that idea of, uh, you know, community and togetherness, that a sense of together we can team, team, you know, teamwork makes the dream work. Exactly. To chitty, chitty, bang, bang. And it's shown very strongly that that is where this scene is trying to show us. Is yes, that like there's still and a the, chance? There is still a chance. And, you know, the power is going to be on and we're going to do these things and everything is it's going to be OK. Yeah, that's really terrible. But we are going to move forward from this and we are going to it's going to be better. And uh, they get the power turned back on. They start getting all of these things uh, together. And uh, the next day, Mother Abigail asks to see the committee. Right. And she already knows that two of them are dead. No one's told her this. And she knew that Fran was in the hospital. Well, she woke up. I mean, she She woke woke up. up They didn't expect her. Yeah, they didn't even expect her to wake up. And she woke up with all of this knowledge of everything that's happened while she's been gone and in this coma. Right. And uh, and even Fran, she knew Fran was injured in the hospital, but she still Mm -hmm. wants Fran to come. So they all get there and uh, they're starting to talk to her about all these things. And 
you know, it's essentially, it's her last will and testament. It's her last like prophecy. And she says, you know, it doesn't matter what you want or what you think. This is what God needs from you. And God needs the four of you to leave all of the things behind and just go West. What you've been working on here is actually the devil's work. Democracy is his word or his power. And the fact that you're all just trying to, you know, glom to that old way that was his is proof of that. Um, he's distracting you. He's trying to like force you to like do this instead of like focusing on the thing that like that needs and, to be done. Yes. Yeah. So Mother Abigail sends them on their quests, um, and it's Stu, it's Glenn, Larry, and Ralph. All four of them are head and Kojak and Kojak. Yes. And the five of them are going to head west, um, and it is quite literally they're going to go and kill Randall Flagg. That's what it seems like their assignment is. Yeah. And so, and, you know, that's all that we know. Well, and and, and Franny's really angry about not this. Not excited about Not her. excited about this. And Mother Abigail uh, lays hands on her and heals her. So she has this miracle thing She's happen. She's freaking out. And Mother and, Abigail grabs her by the hand and says, child, listen. And she feels perfect now. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no pain anymore. So they leave that night. And Stu pretty much comes to the terms, you know. You know, uh, oh, and then during that moment is when uh, they're all standing there and uh, they're just like, I don't know if I believe in this God stuff. And then Mother Abigail, sounding perfectly like Glenn, right. says back the line about how the only thing that can help now is white magic. Mm-hmm. And so it's so important that Glenn was the one to say that earlier because he's been their voice of reason about, you know, like right. what we the logical doing, person, the, the way the progressive way to move forward. Yes. And so when he's the one to say that in the past and now it's brought back up and regurgitated. Through, to them through Mother Abigail, mm-hmm. it really just kind of confirms that, yes, that's we. This is if we want something to happen in this story, we have to do this. Yes, and Stu comes to that, and you know, pretty much tells Franny, and Franny does not accept it. She's just angry and sad and cries. Well, but and again, she's just she's, she can't I mean, she's stop emotional, him. That's the and thing. she's, she's pregnant, pregnant, and now she's going to be alone. Yeah. Um. You know, she's not alone, obviously, because she's got this community. Romantically, but, like, at this point. Right. Like, she just found someone that she, like, loved and felt the same way about her. Like, mm-hmm. especially the last person that she felt this way about was Jesse. And he was a jerk. <laughs> he was the worst. Right. Um, I mean, and... So, we do get, you know, we get these little moments here where Lucy and Larry get to say goodbye and they kiss. And then we get this little picnic with Stu and uh, Franny talking about what they think is going to happen. And, you know... They end up going back to Ralph and Nick's house, and they find this pot of blood, and uh, Franny makes Stu swear on the spot of blood that she, he's going to come back. That he's going to come back. Oh, my gosh. And, uh, and then they kiss, and uh, she says, all right, tell me you love me, and I think I can let you go. And then uh, it's the they held each other in the shattered backyard is a beautiful line. I really yeah, like that line. Yeah, it really is. I mean, where uh, everything blew up, and, and it's it's almost like this moment of hope right in that and we start chapter 60 which is one page and it is just the four of them like saying goodbye and leaving yeah so they leave they start walking and it ends uh they had walked the first night 30 miles away to a place called golden colorado and they slept there Um, sort of 
sort of. None of them slept because, you know, they don't have tents. They don't have blankets. They don't, they literally have nothing. Yeah. They've got the clothes on their back. And it makes me wonder, like, is God, like, going to allow them to pick things up as they go? Or do they have mm-hmm. to not have anything the whole time, you know? Yeah. Um, and that is what we read this week. That's it. And wow. now we've got 20 chapters, so two more weeks it's of funny, this. It's we got 20 chapters, and it's, like, half of one of these sections. I yeah, guess. it is. It's, uh, it's about 200 pages. Total, yeah. Yeah, total. About a, yeah. To 11.52. Yeah, so it's, it's, there's a, I mean... It was the reformation of society and kind of the fall, uh, the fall all in that section. It really and just was there to illustrate that going back to the old ways is not what this is for. Right. You know, if God is going to do an entire catastrophe, a plague, a destruction of everything, he's probably not doing it so you can just rebuild what was. Right. And I think that that's kind of why that section's there is to like really like illustrate like you need to be doing something different. Right. Exactly. We need to, to put, it's fine to put things back together, but we've got to put it back together in a po- more positive way and in a more functional way and right. in a more inclusive way. Mm-hmm. Nick so, Andros dying is terribly sad. It, that got oh me. my gosh. That was good. That was awful. Um, Kojak coming back is amazing. I yeah. was so happy about that. I'm really excited. This next like section is going to be really cool. Uh, there's just so much too, like that can happen now and it's so short. So I know it's just going to be all packed into it. It is. It is. I mean, because in, in this last section, so we've got to resolve, you know, we've got to find out what happens with the scouts mm-hmm. that left, you know, so we're going to find out with Dana and ju- the judge and, and uh, Tom, and then we've got these four, these five on their new journey right. and what's going to go on with them. Yeah, there's, you know, and it's interesting too, because we are at this point where what's going to happen. Oh, and plus what's happening with Harold and Nadine. Yeah, exactly. You know. And, you know, they're going to get there. Are they going to be welcomed with, like, heroes' honors? Or is it just going to be like, a, you did what you were supposed to do. Don't expect any special credit kind right. of thing. Um, and it's going to be interesting there to see, like, Harold. Like, I really would not be surprised if Harold's just not accepted the way he thought he was going to be. And he ends up, like, turning on it and everything. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of different ways that it could all play out. There are. I really... I wouldn't be surprised if we don't hear anything from Franny and Lucy and the rest of them again until the very end of the novel. You know, like whenever they go and uh, Abigail said one of them's going to die. So I think, you know, it's probably going to be Larry, if I had to guess, because Larry's the most, the furthest, the one that's come the furthest and has the most to gain with a sacrifice like that. His like character arc makes the most sense for me to be sacrificed. I do think that like that baby has got to become important now. There's something special about that baby. Maybe it is Jesus. Maybe it is the first, like, child that is immune. You know, we don't know if Jesse is alive yet still. Jesse's probably dead, but most likely dead. I mean, statistically, the odds of him actually surviving is basically impossible. And the odds of him surviving and not connecting with the group there because it was all so close together. Unless he went right to Las Vegas. Unless he went right to Las Vegas. That's what I'm saying. But, you know, the... Odds are very, 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 very small. Very, very, very small. Um, I th- so, okay. Here's just like, you know. Otto's theories. Yeah, yeah, here we go. The theories. <laughs> I think that... Hmm. I really think that Harold's going to end up flipping back over. He's going to end up not getting there and not being received as well as he wanted to. Um, and he's going to end up trying to flip back over. And I think that we'll find in that moment, like, the mercy of the good side versus the bad side. And that'll be, like, the point to illustrate it is, you know, like, this side offers mercy, whereas Random Flag's side does not offer mercy in any form. Um, I think Trashy and Lloyd have to die at some point. Like, they're definitely going to have some real strong deaths. 
Um, you know, Lloyd has been a, a perfect parallel almost for Stu. Um, mm-hmm. But I feel like Stu is also elevated to the point now of Mother Abigail status. You know, Stu is the the their paragon. He's their like main source of because power. Because Mother now. Abigail's gone and Nick Nick's is gone. gone. So you know, he's the third in line to like take all of that. So it makes me feel like he's more likely to be the one to stand face to face with uh, Randall Flag, and like Larry and Ralph worry about uh, the trash can man and Lloyd. And I'm also thinking about this. You know, mm-hmm. I watched a lot of uh, I watched a lot of anime and manga. Right. And in anime and manga, you'll get into these big character arcs where it sets it up where your favorite character is like destined to have a battle with this one person who uses like a similar style of fighting or like they are directly against the characters mm-hmm. like main morals or like something right. like that you know right. you just they're, feel they're counterpoint they have confrontation right. to happen and i feel like that's larry and uh lloyd almost that actually yeah no larry and lloyd and then tom Collin and trash can man are gonna feel like gonna have a confrontation um i have a strong feeling that all these wolves that uh like uh, Darkman has a wolf around for sure, and there was one wolf that did not die at uh, uh, Mother Abigail's house for Kojak, so I feel like Kojak's going to get his redemption moment, or <laughs> like he's going to die. Um, I do have a strong feeling we're going to see Dana on a cross next week. Real strong feeling mm-hmm. as they walk. Dana or Judge is going to be on a cross. Tom Collins too important to die yet. He's being personally protected by God. So, you know, unless he's accomplished his mission or like what he was supposed to do, he's not dead yet. Um you know, I think, like, also, we're going to see some random characters in the in Las Vegas. I think we're going to see Lori there, the girl that Nick... Right, Nick. Julie. Julie, thank you. Julie Lawry is her name. I think we're going to see her there. Um, in my wildest dreams, I would put Jesse there if I was writing it. Like, I would put Franny's ex-boyfriend there. I know it's wild and it makes no sense, but, like, it would just be crazy shocking. Especially if Stu kills him and has no idea who he is. Right. Just, like, the, that, that level okay. of redemption, like, and, like, that cosmic redemption that <laughs> right. no one knows about. Um... And I really just think, is it, I feel bad thinking and saying this, but I know it's not going to be satisfying, the ending. I've never, like, I feel like after reading 900 pages of these characters and these people, there's almost nothing that could truly happen that would satisfy me enough. You know what I mean? Does that yeah, make sense? Yeah, I know it absolutely makes sense. And especially and like knowing Stephen King's way of t- sometimes he he'll chicken out and do a deus ex machina instead of like trying to like take the effort of like fixing something or like trying to solve the problem like it for example, you know? Okay, so yeah, you've seen the movie and I know the generic ending of it through the memes. Well, that and and you've seen you've seen the the movie, the second part of yeah, it yeah, when yeah. Uh, they bully him they, to death. Well, they uh they go on and on to Bill, who is the writer in it, about nobody ever likes his endings. And I know that, that the whole Stephen King universe is very new to you, but that is something that he has been dealing with for years. Well, it, it makes sense. There's like, always complaints about his I can tell you ending. right now, it's not going to be satisfying. And, like, whatever um, happens, like, it's just going to end up feeling like... Uh, I just feel like it's not going to be so the do, payoff that we work towards. So... Um, do you think it's going to be, like, okay. and they lived happily ever after? Oh, or... God, no. Okay. Like, for sure, so... I'm, like, Stuart Larry is dying because either Lucy or Franny has to be completely heartbroken, sadly. One of those two is going to happen. Um, the thing I'm most worried about is, like, at this point, if God, like, gets directly involved, I'm going to be kind of mad. So I'm going to, like, just be like, why didn't you do anything? Uh but also, I guess he hasn't kind of directly involved. That's been the whole point we've been talking about is right. his free will and, like, what he does. Uh so I'm interested to see that. 
I really like these crucifixions have like got to have more of a meaning. Like one of our characters is definitely an illusion for Jesus and I just have not figured it out. It's most likely Larry. Well, no, it's most likely Stu coming from nothing and being forced in, you know, it's Stu. He's the carpenter putting together things with his hands. Ah, so Stu is the paragon for Jesus. Stu's going to definitely die and be crucified. And, uh, you know, who knows how, what that's going to cause, you know, maybe it'll cause Harold to like regress and be like, realize like, this isn't twice next week. So you can just finish this. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll revisit that <laughs> and you're not going to want to stop when you get to the end of the, end next, of the next section but yeah, I have to that's got to be the point yeah. that's the whole that's the whole thing uh, but I'm, I'm really enjoying your theories um, <laughs> and I think I do think that the good side is going to win you know I think it'd be really great it, the way that this novel for me would be very satisfying in the end is if evil completely wins out like, you know, if evil just completely wipes the board and that's the earth now is like, God just didn't do it right this time. He's like, dang it, you messed up the plague, God, like evil won. Good job. I think that would be the most satisfying ending of anything I've ever read ever. I just know that I'm the only one, like probably not the only one, but I'm one of very few people that thinks that way. So I do think that if other people were to think that way, it'd be Stephen King. Right. Um, so I really would love for that to happen, but I just don't see that happening. Um, I think it's going to be a happy ever after in 50 years kind of thing, you know? Okay. And, uh, like, you know, they've set the stage well enough. They're never going to get to see it for sure. Like, that's going to be the thing about their sacrifice, the four, the sacrifice of the four of them. Yeah. Is that they'll never... Ah! They did all... There's so many foreshadowing that Glenn was going to die, too. Because there was just the line where Kojak was like, uh, and then Kojak lived for another 16 years after Glenn died. Ah, so there's foreshadowing that Glenn could die too in this next section I mean, too. There's a lot that could happen in uh, this next. The only one I don't think is going to die is Ralph. I feel like Ralph is going to survive because Ralph is carrying on like Nick's flame almost, and okay. you know Nick's and somebody's got to be there for Tom now that Nick's not there. Right. And it's got to be it's got to be Tom and Ralph in my head. You know, the first okay. other, the one other person that was just as excited and happy to see Tom as uh, Nick was. All right. Well, I'm really enjoying your theories. And I think that and other than that, I don't think I really got many more theories. I'm excited uh, to see. I'm looking forward to uh, next week when we do the next 10 chapters, 61 through 70. And there's still a sword fight coming. So I'm really looking forward to these yeah. next 20 it's chapters. Um, like it's all the building to this. Yeah, this I... I love this book. This is a great story. It's really and a great story. I'm enjoying it a lot. You know, so I'm I'm really excited to see what you think at the end of the next ten chapters and to see, see to see where your theories pan out a little bit. Yeah. And, uh, so make sure you come back and join us next week for chapter sixty one through seventy, and it'll be episode seven. And my name's Autumn Mullins, and I'm Kim Payne, and this has been my first time through. We hope you enjoyed your first time through. Otto, Kim, that was incredibly interesting. Great job today. If you would like to support First Time Through, you can follow us on Facebook, like us on Twitter, or send us an email at firsttimethroughpodcast at gmail.com. You can also become one of our patrons at patreon.com slash firsttimethrough to get exclusive early access, to get exclusive videos, and to become our exclusive friends. If that's interested to you. I'm interested. First Time Through, New Eyes on Castle Rock, is produced by Empty Theater Productions, is created by Kim Payne and Otto Mullins, editing by Otto Mullins, music by Jason Rager, art by Kurt Payne at Who Knew Art.